Yes, my plan worked out perfectly. I read the first year's Christmas intro, Eric read it for the second year, and now I've snuck into the HQ super early before he could swoop in and read it this year. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I'm the Muppet Sethmas Carol. Let's do this. It's the night before Christmas. Have some cocoa, grab a cup, and join us in the House of Indies for this week's Nintendo News Roundup. And speaking of indies, our hearts are in the right place. For love and collaboration, it takes two in the Indie Showcase. We've worked together, let our friendship grow and grow, and dreamt of a Christmas with glistening snow. But that isn't all that we've got planned. Seth? What, what are you doing here? It's just the middle of the night. Uh, well, I gotta ask you the same question. What are you doing here? Uh, well, um, I, uh... Okay, I was just trying to get in and read the Christmas intro this year before you got to it first. You happy? It looks like you beat me to it. Ugh. Honestly, man, this is stupid. It's Christmas. Look, I've already read the first half. How about you take us home with the second half? Yeah. You know, you're right. It is Christmas. How about, you know, Christmas... Collaboration! Collaboration! Hello everybody, I'm Jingle All the Eric, so let's finish the story. But that isn't all that we have got planned. Tonight, we have a mission. A mission in Snowdrift Land. Chubby Snow's Adventure is a gift that we've brought. A Nintendo game from the past that many forgot. And of course, we're keeping the spirit alive with holiday cheer in this week's Top 5 where we're counting down our favorite snowmen and wishing happy holidays to all. It's time to go all in. Right, everybody, we are back. We're here. It's um, well, it's it's weird because we're sitting here recording live on YouTube.com/slash All In Podcast the night before the night before Christmas, but then the podcast itself goes live the night before Christmas. So whatever time vortex you're living in currently, uh, happy we... holiday weekend, everyone. That's, <laughs> that's what he right. used to say. That's right. Happy holiday weekend, Eric. Um, if we can if we can talk about the holidays a little bit just before we get started. Um, I did want to share with everybody, you know, happy my, Hanukkah, my friend, my, my family celebrates Hanukkah. I just wanted to share, you know, my wife cleaned up at dreidel this weekend and we got, this is gelt. Anybody who's watching, uh, on YouTube right now, this is gelt and essentially it's a chocolate coin. It's basically a chocolate coin that is wrapped in like gold foil and we must have came away. This is just three of them that I have here in my <laughs> office right now. But dude, she cleaned up. She took like she took my family for like all the guilt they had, dude. She like just it was a massacre. We have got a sack full of guilt in our kitchen right now. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, like the, that John Wick assassin currency. Oh my god, she's crazy. Like she, it, she is like so hyper competitive that like Dreidel and Dreidel is a completely luck based game. For anybody who hasn't played it, you just spin a top and then it lands and it's like a betting thing. Everybody gets a set amount of guilt and you either skip your turn, put money in the pot, or take the half the pot or take the whole pot. And um, anyway, 
TLDR, we wound up with a lot of guilt. So we got chocolate for days, if nothing else. Nice. You're rich. Uh, I'm, I'm rich. I'm rich in <laughs> fake chocolate coins, if nothing else. Fake Jewish You're wealthy. chocolate. <laughs> One might even say gelfy. That's right. Gel- gelty, which kind of sounds gelty, like guilty, gelty. I guess. I am beset with guilt tonight here on <laughs> youtube.com slash all on podcast shout out to everybody watching us live we love and appreciate you uh we do this every friday night live at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern even during holiday weekend so shout outs to everybody hanging out with us live right now we love and appreciate you um we also love and appreciate eric our patrons our we patrons do. and we do. um uh at some point in the next uh 80 years we will get you all a wonderful holiday gift true True. Actually, no joking. Uh, uh, all joking aside, we do actually have some pretty cool stuff. Yes, we uh, do. Lined up for our patrons, especially in the very near future. Yes, we do. We are going to be doing uh, the Gold Naces here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, that's happening at this time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, January 4th. You're not going to want to miss that stream, folks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway... I do want to thank the people who make it all happen. The patrons at patreon.com slash all in podcast. We love to shout out our golden banana bunch and our Triforce tier supporters uh, from there. So starting with our golden banana bunch, I actually want to start with a brand new golden banana tier patron. Uh, Our good friend, Liam D that's Liam Davenport. One of the co-hosts of the retro groove podcast, Liam just this past week signed up uh, at the golden banana tier. So, Hey, welcome. To the Patreon nice. Army, Liam. Welcome to the Golden Tip Banana the Bunch. the Cocoa Cup to you. That's right. I wish this was Cocoa. Yeah, this is an empty c- cup that once is an empty, a short hike mug that once had coffee in it. And uh, there you go. Tip of that to you, Liam. Thank you very much, my friend. Liam's a great guy, a great friend, and uh, and a wonderful longtime supporter now in the Patreon Brigade. Uh, and whatever, you know, can I call it, I can call it a Patreon army, a golden banana bunch, a brigade, whatever, you know, metaphors you want to have for it. We'll keep that. The all in army. That's right. The all in army. Uh, so thanks so much for your support, Liam. Greatly, greatly appreciate that. Welcome to the golden banana bunch, but moving on to the rest of them, we've got longtime friend and supporter, Rob Yapel. We've got Sam third strongest mole. Who's live in the YouTube chat right now. Hi, Sam. Love you very much, Sam. We've got Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy, City Murray, Drew Agnew, the handsome host of the House Mario podcast, Phelan Ward, Ooh, so handsome. the also handsome host of the Damage Counter Pokemon Trading Card Game podcast, Bill Tucker, the also handsome host of the Gamer Looks at 40 podcast, and Marcus O'Neill, also very handsome man. Love you, Marcus. Um, Body positivity for the win. That's right, dude. That's right. Marcus, <laughs> if the, if anybody has a reason to be body positive, Marcus O'Neill, a very prolific runner and a very athletic dude. I'm, I, I, that's a, that's a really athletic guy. He, he's like always running and working out and yeah. Awesome guy. See, um, I, I, I've spent more than my fair share of time in the gym. I've spent more than my fair share. I mean, I was in the army. You guys all know. I hate running. So all you runners, you can keep that. <laughs> you know, if you want me to go to the gym with you, you want me to get on ellipticals or exercise bike, you want me to be your gym, I'm down. Right. The second you say, let's go running, I'm out. <laughs> right. I'm out. <laughs> Robbie Bobby Miller here in the YouTube live chat says, gorgeous. And he's right. He's right. Marcus O'Neill, gorgeous man. Uh, hi, Robbie Bobby Miller. Great to see you, my friend. Uh, but let's talk about our Triforce tier supporters. Da-na-na-na. 
Josh Vaughn, who is also, shout outs to Josh, who's tuning in, I think maybe for the first time to, to one of our live news broadcasts. Josh Vaughn, uh, one of our Triforce tier supporters here in the chat. John Cummins, uh, Datfast himself, one of the co-hosts of the Retrologic podcast, as well as On Topic Retro. The Globe Trotten, Jet Setting, Nintendo Hub, and Sparky himself. Uh, Adam yes. Caparello, also of the Retro Groove podcast and Octo Rock 1982 YouTube channel. Uh, Shy Guy, the second member of the Shy Guy Mod Squad. Mod and squad. finally, the legend himself, the Christmas legend himself. Uncle Santa Randy. <laughs> Uncle Santa Randy. Can that be, like, instead of Santa Baby, can it be Santa Randy? Can I'm that de- be? Well, it? I mean. <laughs> This is an honest question, Seth. Like, is there any, like, Santa-esque figure uh, for the Hanukkah season or the Hanukkah holiday? No. Can they- no. Nope. We, uh, we give each other gifts. Um, it's, it isn't really even a religiously charged holiday at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> neither is Christmas anymore. It's, well, that's fair, but it's, it's just a big old party. <laughs> it's just, and we just, you know, we give each other like party gifts basically. So that's really all it is. But anyway, yeah. Sh- shout out to one of our patrons, Sparky, who actually just did his first video review of a game this past week True. on a, uh, wonderful little cozy little title from Playtonic games that released last week. Little Gator Game. Little Gator Game. I'll Little talk Gator about that game. here in a minute. Definitely actually. check it out. Yeah, for sure. Check out Sparky on the Nintendo Hub. He does great, great work over there. Love you, Sparky. Indubitably. Uh, also want to shout out an anonymous five-star review that we got on iTunes. Um, so thanks for that. We don't know who you are, but you know who you are, and we appreciate it. You know who you are. <laughs> you know who you are, leaving us those kind reviews. Yeah. So we do appreciate those. Uh, as always, you can leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible. And um, you can leave written reviews there. Drop some words for us there. This is where I would shout them out if you leave them. But anonymous reviews are totally fine, too. I love those, too. I'll, I'll still shout you out. Uh, and you can leave us five-star ratings on Spotify. Very free and easy way to support this show. So thank you so much to everybody who does that, including our anonymous reviewer this week. Love and appreciate you. But, sir... What's been going on this week? Well, we are deep, deep into not only the holidays, but into Golden Aces Crunch season. So I've been rolling credits on quite a few titles, rolled credits on like four separate games over this past week. I rolled credits on Jitsu Squad this past weekend. That was a ton of fun, a ton of hype. Uh, $30 is still an incredibly steep price to pay for that, especially when you have games like especially when we have games like TMNT Shredder's Revenge and River City Girls 2 that just released, which I know is $10 more, but it has online play at the very least. Jitsu Squad is really, really cool. If you can find it on sale, I do recommend checking it out, but it's ultimately like a two and a half hour long game. It does have some incredibly cool, incredibly hype moments, including getting the one and only Johnny uh, Gioelli from Crush 40 to sing a couple songs and... Yeah, I'm not. Did, what? did you not get that far? No. What? <laughs> no. D- yeah, I'm not even kidding. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, they got they got Johnny Gioelli to sing a couple songs for Jitsu Squad, which are ridiculous. Include I, I uh, shared one of them in the the Discord VGM Lounge. Oh yeah, we have a spe- we have a specific channel in our Discord that's just for for people to share like their favorite video game music. It's amazing. But uh, there's a song in Jitsu Squad called Surfing on the Lava, where Johnny just goes in. It's super on the nose, but it's oh my hilarious. God. That's it's amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I really like Jitsu Squad. I was super hyped for it. Seth knows that. It's been on my radar for a very long time. I was very happy to have the opportunity to play it. And uh, we were actually uh, provided the code for it. So thank yeah. you very much for that. Uh, like full, unabashed, unconditional so recommend. I don't, I don't know if I could go that far. Uh, you do unlock like a tag mode once you beat it, but... Yeah, four characters, two and a half hours, $30 price tag with no online. Really, it's the price mm. tag. The The price tag is the big sticking point, I think. Yeah. If it had online, it'd be more recommendable. That's the big unfortunate Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. See, they tease more coming. I don't know if that's coming in a future update or if it's coming in a future game, though. It'd be nice. So, we will see. I would much, 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 much... Uh, be excited for if they decided to come out with a, a big patch or, or more content for Jitsu squad. And if they do, we will definitely let you guys know, but if you're able to find it uh, on sale or something, definitely check it out. If you can find it cheap and you're looking for an incredibly hype kind of nuts, two and a half hour beat em up experience. And you've played all the other amazing beat em ups that we have on the switch. There's a lot. We have so many amazing beat em ups, but Jitsu squad is it's, it's, <laughs> it's an experience i'll say that uh in addition to jitsu squad i finally rolled credits on neon white yeah you did yeah, yeah i did. did not the not the true ending of neon white that's gonna take Gotta a go little back. bit of extra work but yeah. uh yeah man i love that game so much me too. And I love how hard it gets toward the end. Some of those uh some of those levels get like really difficult. Very involved. Yeah. Yes. The like the last proper stage in the game is called Marathon and it's one of my favorite like stages that I've played on the Nintendo Switch in the past few years. It's so good. It's one of those games that 1000% earns its difficulty. Yep. Uh, and it's it's so great. It's so fun, so arcadey but so tight. Uh, I mean, the jumps are super floaty, but they're intended to be, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun that don't give me, we, we're letting, we're letting, I'm going to rewind just for a second there, but, uh, it's, yeah, I, I really have hard, a hard time finding more superlatives to talk about that game with. We're probably going to be talking about it quite a bit come golden aces season here in a couple weeks. So don't you fret young children. Am I going to be there? Then yes, we're going to be talking about neon white. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be fair. talking about neon white. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, another game that uh, we played and rolled credits on is it takes two. Yeah, man. Good game. we Finally did it this past week and something we've been waiting to do for so, so long. If you haven't checked out youtube.com slash all in podcast in the past week or so, definitely check it out. We streamed our entire playthrough of It Takes Two. We had an absolute blast. We'll be talking about it later on in the podcast episode for our Christmas extravaganza. So definitely, definitely check that out. But man, uh, what man, just another amazing experience released Chef's on the kiss. Switch. <laughs> this past year so so good but even yeah in addition to that there's so much been going on i've i've still been playing a lot of pokemon violet i've been almost obsessively collecting six star raid terror raid pokemon like i just got for and uh i dude some of the randos i grab in that game though are just oh my lord <laughs> 
Some of the people just look at the terror type and be like, oh, it's a dark type. I'll bring a fighting type and not realize that it's a Corviknight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then just get completely wrecked. Demolished. I've essentially completely transitioned strategies because everybody wants, everybody wants to do DPS. So I've just assumed that we're going to have, yeah, I've just assumed that if we're going to have a prayer of beating any of these, then I'm going to have to run full support because everybody else is going to run DPS and everybody has continued to run DPS with one or two exceptions in the dozens and dozens of raids that I fought in. But because of me and my amazing Blissey, we have, I've been able to get a really good win percentage on six star raids recently and collecting quite a strong team for what? I don't know. Just to catch them all. That's the whole point of Pokemon, that's good. but that's I'm still having point. a good time. Sam, still having a good time. Sam in the chat says reflect and light screen make you a hero. Here's the deal. Here's the tactic I've had to take. I, I have had to like revert because I've just been playing so many other things just trying to cram it in. I've had to put Pokemon on the back burner. So now I've taken the stance of like, eh, it's probably not even that cool anyway. You nerds over there playing Pokemon. If, if, if I can't have it, it probably sucks. You know, that's that's kind of the, the mentality that I've had to be in because otherwise I'd be right there with you guys. <laughs> I completely understand. Uh, but I'm still having a lot of fun with it. There's still a lot of stuff that I need to put some time into, but I do like that's that's my like little off time game that I come back to. You know, every once in a while, I'll stop the grind for everything that we're trying to crush and everything that we're trying to crunch for Golden Aces. And I'll just go in and and do a few terror raids and, you know, kind of recenter myself. Uh, But speaking of more crunch, speaking of other stuff that we're checking out for Golden Aces season, something that I've been so looking forward to, I finally was able to find a few hours and really dive into this past week. And that is Digital Eclipse's pristine, pristine. Atari 50th Anniversary Collection. Cool. Wow. Wow. It is It is genuinely such a good collection that is retroactively making me think less of other collections that I own. <laughs> They're not that great. They're not Atari 50. <laughs> exactly. Now I'm looking at another collection and be like, don't even have any. <laughs> I don't want to play with you anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, my God, it's amazing. Not only does it just have dozens and dozens of old Atari games, but one of the things that Digital Eclipse understood is the fact that, like, the vast majority of these games do not hold up to modern scrutiny. So in order to make the games interesting, they have gone out of their way. It's not just a collection. It is an actual celebration. It feels like you're playing through this massive interactive museum. Not only do you have the games to to play, but you have all of the historical significance wrapped up around each one. You have all of these insanely rare documents that I was constantly saying to myself, how in the world did they get that? They have all of these amazing interviews, uh, like an actual full-on documentary length amount worth of interviews. How'd they get Nolan Bushnell's social security card? Where'd they get that? They got... But they've got so, so much stuff and they give you the context that you need to really appreciate these games. You're probably not going to put, you know, 10 hours into Pong. They understand that. But what they do is they give you the game and say, this is why this is significant. We're not just going to give it to you as like, hey, here's a game. Play it. This is why this game is important and why you should respect it as a piece of video game history. And then they do that for 
for everything else and not just for the Atari. They've got, you know, the Atari 2600. They've got Atari 7200 games. They've got even Atari 800 games. I didn't realize this. There was an Atari 800 game released in 2007. Oh, wow. It's cool. called Vu called Voosh or something, which was Voosh? actually really cool. Nice. I really dug it. It's this little like basketball that hops down a uh, a tunnel, and All you've right. got a you know it's it's that's cute. It, I like that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. But in addition to that, they've got Atari Lynx. Yeah, games. Lynx they've got and Atari Jaguar. Jaguar games. That's crazy. Yeah. And in addition to that, they've even got like half a dozen or so of what they call reimagined games. They made a new version of Breakout, which I really like. The Neo Breakout game in the Atari collection is really cool. Eric Likey. They finished off another big thing that they were excited to finally do with this collection. They finished off the Sword Quest quadrilogy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So finally, after, you know, literal decades, they finally made, they finally finished and made right on the promise set in the first three games. And they finally finished off that quadrilogy with this 50th anniversary collection. There's another reimagined game called Vector Sector, which is rad. So there's there's just so many cool things. There's so many different reasons, so many different reasons that I can recommend this collection to so many different people. If you've ever been remotely interested in the history of video games or the industry itself behind the software, it's a must own. Like that's all there is to it. It's a must own. As a celebration, as a video game collection, it's peerless. But as an actual celebration of the industry and the history that we all love, it is maybe the greatest example of that I've ever seen. Nice. I got to get it. I, I haven't gotten around to picking it up yet, but it's absolutely, it has to happen. I will own it. It will be mine. Oh, yes, <laughs> it will be mine. <laughs> yeah, but just so, so much going on. We've got a bunch of other games we still need to get to, including the one on the screen behind me, which we'll be talking about here in just a few seconds. I finally restarted Tunic. Nice. I restarted Tunic, and you and I were talking about this just a little bit before the episode began, but it just feels so different. You know, I, I gave it about a week to, I you know, after the first time I tried to play it and just nothing was clicking with me. Not to say that I wasn't necessarily enjoying myself, but the game speaks in a language that's very different from the vast majority of other games. That much is fairly widely publicized. But by the first, by the end of my first playthrough, when I was legitimately so frustrated that I was ready to turn it off and never turn it back on, I said, let me just, let me just step away for a week, come back to it. And it feels like a whole new game to me now, now that I better understand, now that I speak the game's language, Mm -hmm. even just a little bit more, it feels like a completely different experience now. So I am very excited to finally play uh, Tunic to completion. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts once you, like once you finish it, because yeah, I've got, I've got some interesting, like, I think I love it. I think, I think I love it. I think it's really, really good. Maybe. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward to talking more about it with you. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely a couple things that objectively, I was like, game, you really should have done this. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on underneath the hood of this game. And 
you know, there are games, there are games that I really like that I had a bad first impression of. Uh, but once I kind of wrap my head around it, I'd be like, okay, this is what the game's going for. Right. You know, we weren't on the same page the first time. So, uh, you know, sometimes that's just what you got to do. Sometimes if you're playing a game, you know, step away from it. If it's just not clicking the first time, maybe just step away from it, erase your file, come back to it a week later. If it's still not clicking with you, completely understand, but that's actually fixed my perception of a couple games. So if you find that happening with yourself and a game that you're playing, maybe that could be a route you could take. Yeah. Tunic especially. Like Tunic's a really yeah. good example of that. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, um, I'm I'm going to be quick with mine because a lot of the things I've been playing, actually, we're going to be talking about in the news. So Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so um, I've got a couple of things that I'll shout out. You mentioned Little Gator Game earlier. Uh, I did 100% that. I love that game. Nice. I think it's so I, good. God, I want to play it. It's so, so much good. has come out just this month. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Like, it is... Um, it's the perfect game to play for the holidays. Like it's the perfect, like little you'll, you'll probably hundred percent it in five hours or so. It's not a big ask, but it's just this perfect little, a short hike breath of the wild kind of thing with a, with a story and like something to say about kind of growing up and making time for fun and stuff. And, you know, familial relationships and friend relationships. And it's just a very like wholesome treat of a game. I really don't have any, complaints with it like it's kind of perfect like it, it and it like runs like beautifully on switch weirdly i streamed it here on the youtube channel if you want to if anybody watching wants to uh watching or listening wants to check it out but um man i just like yeah like i loved it i i i honestly can't think of a flaw with it like it's great um funny writing too like really referential um yeah it's awesome like i i can't yeah, recommend it highly enough completely see why platonic was so taken with that game yeah well and, and like it's cool too because um everybody in the community and the discord and stuff have really latched onto it too um and it, it kind of became this moment where like i i think maybe it was shy guy who got it first and shy guy was kind of reporting to everybody in the discord like oh everybody needs to play this so good and then people slowly <laughs> kind of started playing it and just talking about it and then more people would play it to the point where i think there's probably like seven or eight community members who were just all talking about little gator game, like in the discord. Oh yeah. And, oh, um, yeah, yeah it was, it was really cool. I do too, man. It was, it was just really cool. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's a phenomenal game. Um, and then I've also just been, so one of the games that I had on my crunch list was cult of the lamb and I am addicted to cult of the lamb, addicted yep. to it. It is so good. Now it has problems. It has issues. I think some of them are design issues and some of them are performance issues. Um, because unfortunately the switch version of the game does struggle to keep up with, especially once your cult gets really big and there's a lot of like systems in play. Cause you can get to the point where like my cult right now has got just like a farm on it and like all these different houses and beds. You've hit the asset limit, sir. Yeah, like the the game has a hard time keeping up with that. Um and and that that is unfortunate. Um and, and the Switch version, like at, at first I was like, I don't see what everybody's complaining about. And then as I got deeper in, I was like, oh okay, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um that being said, the the loop I think is really satisfying too. The problem that the game has 
is that the balance between like managing your cult and going out on your like roguelike Hades-esque runs is really yeah. kind of busted because before I even beat the first boss, my cult was already I was so like addicted to the cult management side of it, my cult was already basically maxed out before I ever even took down the first boss. Like I, I've probably spent 20 hours in this game. 95% of it has just been doing the cult management stuff. So, and that's not to say that the roguelike stuff is bad. It's just like the incentivization to do that. It's almost more obligation than anything else. Like the cult stuff feeds into the roguelike stuff, but the roguelike stuff doesn't feed enough back into the cult stuff. So that's the only like major, major issues I have with it. Otherwise it's like sublime. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I will just spend five, six hours in it, just melt it away, just without even trying. Yep. It is yep. addicting, man. Um, yep. Yeah, I can see what all the fuss is about. It's a good yeah. game. Those management sims will get you, man. It's like, ah, oh, here I've spent two hours on this management. Oh, it's Tuesday. Oh Lord, I didn't think I was into them. Like I, I've really kind of come to learn that, like, I think I like management sims. Like, I um. I played Arcade Paradise earlier this year and really enjoyed yeah. that. Um, you know, I've, I've got this here. Uh, I played the demo for that game, Spirity, that's coming out. I'm like, do I like management sims? Like, I guess I do. So, well, I think for a lot of people, it just has funny. to do with the framing. Right. I think for a lot of people, it just has to do with the framing. If you look at something from a certain angle through a certain lens, it may not seem appealing to you. But all of a sudden, if you put a fresh coat of paint on it and you compared to something that you're more interested in all of a sudden it's like oh this game looks amazing now yeah so I think, yeah i think it's i think it's that and just the way that the systems play with each other is is also super important for for me too but um anyway like i said i've, I've been playing more stuff but we'll talk about that as we get into the news and speaking of that what do you say we get into that news uh, there's a nice little advent calendar for us to unwrap here in the news. So let's go ahead and unwrap it. Hey, listen. Far and away, the biggest news story within the world of Nintendo this past week has been, of course, the daily Inside the House of Indies little five-minute micro Indie World showcases that we've been getting each and every day to the honestly stress of your two wonderful co-hosts here leading up to the golden aces because we don't need any more amazing games to shadow drop on us in the next two weeks thank you very much however we're still getting more awesome games here on the nintendo switch so that is still cause for celebration and again for the past five days we've been getting these little micro indie world showcases chock full of interesting looking games and shadow drops every day every day Every day, far and away, the most notable of which I would argue would be Sports Story, the game that we just got here a little bit earlier on today. But Seth, let's go ahead and start at the beginning. Let's start with Monday. There's so much to jump into with yeah. these inside the House of Indy presentations. So let's open up the advent calendar from Monday. Yeah. What do we got? It's so, yeah, this was interesting, right? Because this is essentially, I mean, what they've done here is, is this is an Indie World Showcase just broken yeah. up into five days like this. If you put all this together, this would just be a really a good, like mm -hmm. 25, 30 minute indie world showcase. It j they've just packaged it in a cute holiday advent calendar way. I thought it was great. I, I, th With I think it's shadow drops to choke the eShop. Oh my God. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So I, I, I really actually quite enjoyed this. I hope they do it again in the future. Um, Me too. 
So for, for day one, uh, the shadow drops we got were Floppy Knights and Mortal Shell, um, which which was cool. We got Paparazzi announced for early 2023 and Roman Sand Rebuild uh, coming in summer 2023 for day one, um, which is a pretty strong start. Like, honestly, uh, Floppy Knights has been on PC and Xbox for a little while. This is, I think, yep. a lot of the Dicey Dungeons team uh, that made this game. Um, and like having that shadow drop was crazy. Mortal shell has been on other consoles and PC for a little while now, but, uh, that's one of those, like, how does this even run on switch kind of games that shadow dropping is crazy. Like I'd actually like to see how it runs on switch because it looks kind of interesting. It looks very much like a lot of the souls porn titles. It looks yeah. almost like a new age Dante's Inferno or something, but right. I, I really kind of dug what I saw of it. So I'd be interested in checking it out. It's the mortal shell complete edition. It's got the original game and all the DLC that's been released up to this point, And it's only 30 bucks. It yeah. looks like a pretty good package for only 30 bucks. I would very much like to check that out. And of course, Floppy Nights, we've already talked about. They're billing Floppy Nights as Floppy Nights version 2.0. Like Seth said, it's already been on Steam and Xbox. However, it came to the Nintendo Switch with a pretty significant update, which I assume also got dropped on the Steam, uh, on Steam and on Xbox as well. Yeah. But they, uh, they advertised a bunch of new cards and abilities, new playable characters, and a whole bunch of new content for the Nintendo Switch's holiday release this year. And again, I, I dig Dicey Dungeons. It's not amazing, but as far as roguelikes go, it's really cute. It's got a nice gimmick to it. It's well put together. There's a fair amount of polish involved. So just based on my experience with that, I'm really interested in at least checking out Floppy Nights, especially since we've, you know, we're, uh, there, there were a couple tactics-based RPGs that we wound up not getting this year. So I'm kind of jonesing for one. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was cool to see. I would like to play it. This one was definitely on my radar, but I don't need another thing to get sucked into because of some of the other things we'll talk about in Bro. some of the other days. Um, Paparazzi, I think, looks cute. It's sort of a <laughs> like dog photography kind of open worldish looking thing. Yeah. So it looks cool. it looks like Alba meets like Nintendogs or something. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind There's of into a, it. You can pet the dog. That that's really all that needs to be said with that. But in addition to that, there's a ton of interesting little bonkers situations that you can find yourself in to take interesting photos of these dogs. They're running around driving scooters, playing firefighter, doing all kinds of weird, adorable things. You can dress up at least a few of the dogs that mm -hmm. are in the game. But yeah, they had a, they had an actual quick little dev interview there for, for day one for paparazzi. So I don't know. Could be fun. Could be interesting. If you're into really adorable, super cozy games like our friend Lockleth, who was actually checking out a bunch of super cheap indie games earlier on today on YouTube, yeah. as a matter of fact. But if you're into cozy, cute little games like that, eh, have it on your radar. Check it out. Yeah. And then and then Roman Sand Rebuild kind of that one had my ears perk up because um, it kind of reminds me like it's got that kind of neon white, like mid 2000s, like style to it a little bit. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by it. I don't know what to make of the actual like gameplay of it. It seems like it's it's yeah. kind of priding itself on being a bunch of different genres at once. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of into like the style of it, at least. So we'll, we'll I'll keep an eye on that one. I don't know, especially with all the games that have come out of the, over the course of this past week. I've got to say, 
at Roman uh, Sands rebuild really kind of fell down the queue for me. Out of, I just, I yeah, in the grand scheme of it, it's a, it's one of the weaker ones for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see enough of it for it to keep my interest even beyond the next day once yeah. the next one had come out. So, but I don't know. It's not at that's one of the ones that didn't shadow drop. Maybe we'll learn a few more things about it in the following weeks and months that will reignite our interest in it. We shall we see. We will see. But let's talk about day two because the, the games from day two are the Punchuin from Punch Shinen Multimedia. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we saw Shin and we were like, "Oh no!" Yeah, that was it for me. Like the second I saw <laughs> that it was Shinen, I was like, "Well, cool, done." Like bought it, uh, and then the captain also shadow dropped, which also looks really cool. Uh, we got new trailers for the Gecko Gods and Risk of Rain Returns that are both announced for next year as well. Um, the Punchuin, I actually did pick up. Uh, it was yep. a shadow drop again. I picked it up. There's a video on the YouTube channel of I'm really bad at it. Um, <laughs> That's what, actually the video of it. No kidding. That it's it's really bad. It's not good. I'm not good at the game. But I'm looking forward to learning more about it. What it is because I think a lot of people watched the trailer and said like well, like what is this? Because yeah. you can see that it's like a I'm cute. People. Yeah, right. You can see that it's like a cute like pixel art penguin with boxing gloves or whatever. But what is the game? Right. Um. What it is, is it's actually like a, think about Tetris, except instead of moving the Tetronomos as they fall directly and trying to match them directly, you have to like, they're going to fall in one way, but you have to make the pathway by punching obstacles out of the way as this penguin. Isn't um, it like Yoshi's Cookie or something? Isn't the same kinda, thing Kinda. Yeah, kinda. It's a little bit like like that, but Yoshi's Cookie is a little bit... It's it's a little bit more, I guess, um, tactical than than this is. This is more. It's almost like they've tried to work an action platformer into like a puzzle, like a like a Tetris screen or something. It's mm-hmm. weird, and I'm not that far into it, but um, it gets overwhelming pretty quickly, and you have to like you have to have a pretty quick like reaction time and kind of know exactly what you're doing. There are a couple of little like interesting kind of moves i always like it when a game has like little tactics that you just discover naturally so something i i learned quickly was that if one of the blocks that falls is against a wall or another block if you punch it it'll actually go backwards like towards you um so that's something that you can employ quite a bit the punch you in also has like kind of a like a wall grab a little bit that the game never explicitly tells you but you kind of figure it out like as you're playing um there's like a i think it's called like the like the pola shop or something like that where this little polar bear will sell you upgrades and things and you know <laughs> it's very very polished just like all of shinen's uh, games are um so yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more. It, it just is such a surprising, like they're such an interesting developer to go from stuff like Art of Balance and like Nano Stray and then to like Fast RMX, Fast Racing Neo, and then The Tourist, and then this. See, yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, seen Shinin's name. The Tourist was actually, I believe, our second ever indie show. I think that's right. Yep. Uh, so it's been a little while, but once we saw... I, I I immediately read Seth's mind. Once we both saw the Shinin logo, we were like, oh, well, yep, bot. that's bot. That's bot. bot. They're, they're one of the few developers that just, they're they're batting 1,000 for me. I have not encountered a Shinin game that I didn't enjoy. So, yeah. I mean, that's but a seal quality. Wanna, I, but I do want to stop and, and shout out Gecko because yeah. Gecko Gods actually looks really cool. Looks great. 
Looks really, really cool. A big, grand, open adventure where you play as an admittedly diminutive little gecko that appears that if somebody walked up and sneezed on him, you would probably have to respawn. Yeah. But uh, but it the the way you move around the gecko, I mean, he moves like a gecko. You have full traversal ability up columns and walls and everything like that. You have full wall stick, gravity-defying seemingly capabilities. Actually reminded me a little bit of, you know, games like Mario Galaxy where you had, I mean, I know these games are going to be vastly different. Sure. But it it looks like you still have kind of full control and full agency regardless of which orientation your character is, which just looks super interesting to me. When you are not bound by gravity, when you are not bound by a single plane, I've just always, when games can nail that, I just think right. it's an incredibly interesting mechanic to put into, into any type of game. It looks like there is some light puzzle solving, and I imagine at some point you'll pick up some new abilities, but just on based, just based on what we saw at day two of Inside the House of Indies, I really, really think, uh, uh, I really, really want to pick up that Gecko Gods uh, title. Yeah, it looks great. I think the captain looks really cool. Um, it's like this pixel art, you know, sort of thing. Uh, looks looks really neat. I, I don't know too much about it, but just like based on the trailer, that looked pretty pretty cool. Uh, Risk of Rain Returns is a like remaster remake of the first Risk of Rain, uh, which is neat. I've never played it. I've heard good things. I think Shy Guy City's a big fan of it. So, um, you know, that might be something. I don't think we even saw any gameplay though. I think it was just like a trailer for it. Um, and those both just kind of have vague 2023 dates. So, yeah. But yeah, day two. That was day two. <laughs> that was day two. Day three. Yes. Day three. I don't know too much about this. I don't know if it's going to be for me, but I know there's a lot of people really excited about this potion craft game. Yeah, I've heard a lot about uh, about the the potion craft. Uh, like th there are people who are really really into it. Like, yeah. um, and it, it was kind of giving me like strange horticulture vibes a little bit, which I exactly love. yeah 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 yeah. Like I love strange horticulture, one of my favorite games of the year. Um, and I mean we'll see. You know, I I'm curious how like I'm curious how deep it goes into the actual like mechanics of crafting. I think it's actually been out on PC for a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's already out on PC, but it's coming to Switch in spring 2023. So I know there's excitement about this, but I don't know a whole lot about it personally. We'll see. I don't know. We will see. It looks like it's got a fair amount of polish. It looks like there's a ton of options that uh, you have. I mean, you don't just, you're not just stuck inside the lab crafting potions. You have to actually go out and gather the ingredients. And, you know, there is a loop involved. It's not just all one thing. So... I don't know. We'll see if uh, we'll see if it appeals to that management sim part of our brain that Seth is finally tapping into. Yeah, I guess so. We'll see. If it's anything like Strange Horticulture, like I, I couldn't believe how much I love that game. Like I, yeah. you know, it's another. I guess that's another. Like throw that in the pile of management sims that I was just super surprised by. Um, I know, so. like Chris Floyd, friend of the show, Chris Floyd. I know that's like his game of the year right yeah. now. Strange Horticulture. It, dude, I don't blame him. It's 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 up there for me. It, like it really is. It's a great game. Um, the other one that was not shadow dropped was Tin Hearts, which had my ears perk up a little bit. I think this looks pretty cool. It kind yeah. of reminds me a little bit. My, my first, so this is like if you took like Tinykin with kind of like a lemmings like sort of thing to it. Yeah. We had to make the lemmings. Yeah. Comparison. I mean, it's it, gotta it, be there. 
Yeah, it it is one thousand percent inviting a lemmings comparison, but uh, it looks like you can actually take a lot more direct control. Yeah, it, like well, you it, had yeah. control over some of the lemmings in those games, uh, and you had somewhat of control over the tiny kin in those games. But I know this is going to be a weird game to compare it to, but Brutal Legend. Okay. Yeah. All right. So where in Brutal Legend, you have a bunch of things within the field that you set up for the the tactics-based battles that go on. But even once you have everything set up, you can still go onto the playing field yourself and directly start to mess with things and directly start to alter things on the battlefield to, to fully implement your strategy. You can tell the AI to do certain things. And then once you finish giving, uh, handing out your orders, you can, can take control of one of the one of the 10 soldiers, you can take control of one of the characters on the main play field and then, you know, fully uh, integrate, fully enact your strategy. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good point too. Tim's here in the chat. Tim from the Nintendo Dads. Hey Tim. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Tim says, 10 hearts is on my wish list. Gave me a little Mario versus Donkey Kong vibe. Like the, like the minis, you know, the March of the minis and stuff. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely see that. That's a good call. Tim. That's a game that is begging for some like just straight holiday stages. Right. Well, and I was a little surprised when the trailer first started. I actually thought that this would maybe be a shadow drop. Um, Because it does. Soldiers does really evoke like a nutcracker type thing. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, like, the the Tinykin comparison to me, though, comes from uh, in Tinykin, there are those moments where you would sort of like set your soldiers or your, your Tinykin or whatever forth to like lift an object and like take it on a pathway. That's yeah. kind of the vibe I was getting where it was like, you're going to set your soldiers on this path to achieve these goals or whatever, but then yeah, you can take direct control and play it kind of like a more open 3D platformer, it looks like. Um, I'm into it. I think it looks great. It's coming April 20th next year. Yeah. Looks so. really good for a, a big, I don't want to say open, but for a fairly involved looking big 3D adventure game. Graphically, we'll it looks it. good. Yeah. yeah, graphically, it looks very good. Yeah, the two shadow drops we got on day three were Sonority and Sail Forth. Um, Sail Forth is this, apparently it's been in development for a while. This is the first I'd ever heard of it. Um, it's this kind of like Wind Waker inspired sort of thing um, where it's like, yeah, open ocean on a sailboat and stuff like that. Looks kind of interesting. I'm kind of, maybe I, I maybe it's because we just played Wavetail. But like <laughs> it, it was kind. Of, I'm like I, I'm. I don't need another like Wind Waker like game right now. So you know, it, I kind of moved on from that. But it does look cool. It does look cool. It looks like a scaled down version of something like Sea of Thieves or uh, like Assassin's Creed Four or you know one of those games that's really involved in naval combat. It just looks like kind of yes. a scaled down version of that. So. Uh, we've never like we never got Sea of Thieves on the Nintendo Switch, right? No, no. I no. I predicted that. I I still think that's going to happen one day. I still think that's happening. I don't know. We'll see. But there are a couple other games out there that I think can scratch that naval combat itch. So this for me, Sailforth wasn't an immediate buy, but I was actually kind of interested in uh, the other one specifically. Well, let, me, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you okay. about it. Okay. Yeah, because so, uh, we actually got a code for it, and we did. like Punch You In, that is another game that Seth has already made a video for the YouTube channel for, so make sure after this episode to check out youtube.com slash Podcast to actually check out his gameplay of Sonority Seth. Yeah. The floor is yours. 
So Sonority, uh, and again, big thanks to the publisher for giving us code to check that out. Super appreciated. Um, because th this is a really unique game. And I think the unfortunate thing about this, and um, it's going to be prohibitive to a lot of people for a couple of reasons. A, the game is short. Um, the game has been out on PC, I think, for a little while. And I was seeing that people were beating in like two hours. Um, my video is like 40 minutes, so I think I literally played like half the game just in my video. Um, and and so like for, the, it's 1999, so I think for the value proposition, I think that's going to be a little bit prohibitive. I think what's also going to be prohibitive is you can tell the game was made on a very low budget. Um, and like the visuals and like the, there, there's like a little bit of jank. It kind of reminds me of like a PS2 original Xbox game in a lot of ways. For me, I find that kind of charming, but I can totally see people like playing this game or looking at this game and saying, wow, that just looks gross. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough like recommend for that reason. And I also think that, you know, the game opens up like the first thing you see is, Anybody can play this game. You don't need to be musically inclined to play this game or anything like that. I kind of disagree. Like, now that I've played it, I kind of think that you need to have a little bit of, like, not not a lot, but, like, some basic musical inclination, I think, is kind of needed for this game. <laughs> well, I I will be able to verify that very quickly. <laughs> just because you, you just have to know, because the, the, the basic setup of it is you're this uh, this woman named Esther who's trying to find a melody that will cure her like talking bear friend or something like that. Um, and it's like this world that's inhabited by like magical talking animals and there's like this talking raccoon that you see in the trailer and stuff like that. Um, and the world is sort of beset by these puzzles and these notes that you pick up and you play music on your pan flute in order to like lift and uh, raise and lower platforms and things and navigate the world and solve these puzzles. And that's all great, but you do have to have like an understanding of the register of notes. And like, even for me, like somebody who plays music, I had to sort of think about like, oh, this note is higher than that note. This note is maybe a two octaves higher than that note. So it'll raise this thing two levels, you know? So I think some people will find themselves like beating their heads against the wall with it and doing trial and error versus actually absorbing what the game is trying to teach you about musical notes and how they fall on a staff. Um, well, isn't like the different buttons correspond to the different notes, correct? Yep. yep. So, so how, but how intuitive is that? For for me, like for me, it was weird because there would be situations. So up to the point that I played, um, like I had like C, D, E, and F notes, and the C and D would be on like L and Z L, and then E and F would be on left D pad and, and up D pad, and it's not all that intuitive because I would know which note that I wanted to play. But I'd be like, oh, like, dang it, like, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> you know, let me just, let me mash around until I find the button that is, you know, corresponding to the note. You Admittedly, know. that was one of the big things I was afraid of, is seeing that they were just mapping different notes to the controller. I said that, you know, a video game controller isn't a really natural yeah. translation of something like that. And what's and what's weird about it too is you can you can actually lay these things in two different ways. Um, you can have uh, 
you you can display them as notes or you can display them as numbers. So that's meant to be an accessibility feature so that people who might not understand this note is so many steps, you know, higher in pitch than this note, they can they can see that four is higher than one instead, you know? So that's meant to be an accessibility feature. But like for me, um, it is like like for me, it's just not intuitive enough for the lay person to wrap their mind around. And I think that's like kind of unfortunate because it's a neat idea, like with a higher budget, a little more polish and like a little more time in the oven or like, um, like, like just, just refinement, I think in general, this could be really something interesting and special, but for it being a two hour experience that has like these little issues that I don't think are going to vibe with any, with everybody. And for it being $20, it's kind of a tough recommend if I'm being honest with you, like, I think it's cool. But I can't really, like, recommend it. You know what I mean? So, it's kind of where I'm at with it. Well, I mean, unfortunately, not every game. We like to be as positive as uh, we possibly can be on the show. But we're not going to recommend every game that we play to you guys. Where there's there's just some that ultimately probably need a little bit more time in the oven. Probably need a little bit more time on the whiteboard. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe, you know, they'll take this and you know, move forward and, and create a better product from it. I hope so. It's a, it's a really neat idea. So, so I hope so. Uh, but, but day four, man, let's talk about day, day four. four, man. Did this, who did the inside the house of Indies just kill us? The hits keep coming. The, oh my Lord. Okay. So day four, a game that you and I have been very excited for. Uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because this was one of the shadow drops from day four. It was melatonin, a, rhythm-based puzzle-esque game that everybody and their dog is already kind of compared to Rhythm Heaven. It is Rhythm Heaven. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. That shadow dropped on the Nintendo Switch to much acclaim and also much, oh no, from Seth and Eric. I uh, bought it. I bought it instantly. Like, yeah. I had to have it. I, um, yeah. I love this game. I, I played it during Steam Next Fest. I've been following it for, like, a year. Um yep. Everybody you even, in like you did a Steam Next Fest video demo video. Of I it, didn't right? do a video for it because for the, the the reason I didn't is because um and it's funny because there there are a couple people I think shy guy in the community uh he was like yeah like it's it's tough like the timing is tough and rhythm heaven can be tough too um so like when I was trying to play it for the video I had my headset on and there's inherent latency with a headset. So it made it impossible for me to play it. That's why I didn't do a video. That's why you're never going to see me stream it. I, I can't play a game like this properly with a headset. So, um, but Melatonin though is a, is a fantastic game. If you're a Rhythm Heaven fan, honestly, buy it. Like it, I couldn't, I couldn't give it a stronger recommendation for Rhythm Heaven fans because, um. And Rhythm Heaven is something that is very close to Seth's heart, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Yeah. One of my favorite franchises and uh, it just, it feels great. It has a unique sense of style, this sort of like pastel dreamlike yeah. kind of style. It looks gorgeous. Um, yeah. The music is great. And, uh, and, and the games themselves are, are like super well-made and well done and uh, has a high skill ceiling for sure. But if you're a rhythm heaven fan, this is a no brainer. Like, like you should have already bought this. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with yourself? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, this is another one that I'm really excited for. Uh, I know it's not Harmonite, but that's just, you know, the the image that I get in my head because I really like Harmonite and I know I'm going to really like this. So 
I hope so. But, I'll be interested to hear what you think because I think it's a little bit more hardcore than something yeah. like Harmonite. So I'm going to be interested to hear to hear your thoughts once you get a chance to play it. Yeah, I am really, really interested to check it out, though. Cannot wait. However, as overpriced as it arguably may be, there was another shadow drop that uh, one of them directly spoke to Seth. One of the shadow drops <laughs> on day four directly spoke to me. Yeah, this and, is an Eric like, game. This is an Eric yeah, game through and through. Definitely yeah. an Eric game. But uh, slightly more pricey than than melatonin. This yeah. uh, this game came out at twenty five dollars. It's called Hyper Gunsport. Essentially, volleyball in a cyberpunk post apocalyptic world. Not necessarily post apocalyptic, but volleyball in a cyberpunk world with guns. You play as one of seven different teams on seven different arenas. And you use your different weapons at your disposal to hit a ball back and forth to try to hit it up against the wall, up against the scoring zone of the opposing team. We, and especially me, have been banging the drum to death about having more arcade sports titles on the Nintendo Switch and about how I just want all of them. So here I am putting my money where my mouth is. I picked it up. I will let you guys know what I think of it to let you know if it earns despite its on-the-surface apparent lack of content and lack of online multiplayer, unfortunately. Yeah. Seven teams, seven arenas, no online multiplayer, which is really, really unfortunate. But, again, I keep tooting the horn about uh, about arcade sports titles, so I'll, uh, I've already picked it up. I will let you guys know what it's like. Looking forward to check out both Melatonin and Hyper Gun Sport from today. But those were just the Shadow Dropped titles from day four. There were a couple other titles, like the rest of the days, that uh, were also shown off. And I've got to say, like, After Image looks pretty rad. It does. It, it looks like, you know, it's it's like a Symphony of the Night kind of style looking, yeah. you know, Metroidvania thing. I was um, apparently... Very white, Shy- very angelic. Uh- yeah, yeah. Shy Guy City shared in our Discord, apparently the game's like 30 plus hours long, which I was like, holy cow, Whoa. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So um, that one's coming April 25th. It's one of those things where like, if you're going to swing at the king, you better not miss. Because it like it's so clearly evocative of like those... Symphony of the Night specifically, I think it looks... Like a lot like it, so we'll see. I'm I'm intrigued by this one though. Like I I hope it is as, as good as it looks. Yeah, it's got a really nice, uh, really thin but uh, really well polished anime art style to it that I really dig. And if it's well designed, that 30 hour runtime could be a big boon for it. There are so many games that just really pad out the time, and based on what we saw. The level design did look slightly bland to me, but just based on everything else I saw in the trailer, I do still have high hopes for it. I just hope that that 30 hours isn't padded out with mind-numbing platforming sections and even more mindless combat. We will see, but uh, just based on the art style in the trailer, looks pretty rad. Yeah, it does. I'm really excited for Smile For Me also coming next spring. And for one reason in particular... Um, I have said on this show that it is maybe one of my like biggest crimes in the Nintendo Switch era that we do not have Jazz Punk on the Nintendo Switch, which yeah. is my my favorite comedy game ever made. Like full stop. Um, and it's one of the few games that I would consider like comedy as a genre. Like I couldn't call that game anything other than a comedy. Um, and Smile for me totally has Jazz Punk vibes. 
Um, so like that alone, just the vibe it's giving me makes me makes me really want to play it. So. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Toem and Psychonauts. Yeah, Toem, I can see the Toem comparison because it's got that kind of like 2D characters that sort of exactly. like follow you around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but it it seems bonkers. And I love games that I get to use that word with, A, because bonkers is really fun to say. And two, because typically bonkers games are at the very least entertaining because of that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very much here for that. It's coming next spring, so I've got my eye on that one for sure. But day five, the final day, day five was where they they brought the sauce. Like we kind of knew going into this, right? We knew going into this whole thing. Yes. Um, and and you know we we didn't bury the lead or anything. Sports Story did shadow drop during this, and we sort of knew that kind of had to happen, right? Yeah, there are a lot of rumblings. It's getting toward the end of 2022. Sports Story was slated to come out. This year, there are a lot of people like, is it? It's got to be here. If it's releasing this year, it's got to be here. Where is Sports Story? It's been one of the most highly requested and most anticipated indie games of the past year. Where is it? Then they announced the inside of the House of Indies little advent calendar, and everybody was like, I mean, it just has to be. And sure enough, yeah. it was. Had to be, I, well, and not even just like it was promised this year, it was promised in December. Like we had an Indie World showcase in November and the last announcement was that Sports Story was coming in December, which was super weird. It's like, why? If it's like a month away, why not just give us the date now? And flash forward to here, it's like, okay, well, I guess this is here. Here we are, like in the final days of December, this is where they're going to drop Sports Story. Um, and it almost felt like they built the entire presentation around this, to be honest. Kind of, yeah. Um, because not, not that there haven't been other amazing announcements that we've talked about, but, um, but like, you know, that was when the door opened and everything. And it's like with, with sports story inside and, you know, so, so that was shadow dropped. Uh, Eric picked it up. I'm in me personally, I'm in no huge hurry to play it. Uh, I'll play it eventually. I'm sure I still need to play golf story. Like, yeah, we did. Uh, we did an indie showcase on Golf Story. Go back, and I honestly can't remember off the top of my head what episode that was. But Golf Story was super, super fun. A really interesting golf RPG hybrid, and you know, everybody who's played Golf Story was understandably hyped for its follow-up Sports Story, which took that formula and was like, well, let's just throw every sport in there. Uh, we've been seeing little trailers for it on and off for the past year and a half. But finally, this weekend, we have it in our hands and I can't wait. I'm going to see if somehow, some way, somewhere, some why, somewhat, I can crunch this out for Golden Ace season. Whew. Because it would not surprise me if uh, if it did make the ballot for a couple You're of You're a madman. You're a madman. Bro. Sorry, family. I can't spend the holidays with you. I got to work. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I got to crunch in this video game. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm sure it's great. You know, I, I'll get to it someday. I'll probably, I'll get it's, to it when it's on sale for like five bucks, like I did with, with Golf Story. Someday. So we'll see. But, um, but they also gave us a new trailer for Sea of Stars, um, which is cool. You know, I, I'm to the point where I'm a little sick of seeing that game, if I'm being honest. I honestly um, thought you would have been just all starry-eyed talking about Sea of Stars because here we are, the final day of the Inside the House of Indies advent calendar, and who should pop up in the yeah. presentation but Yasunori 
Mitsuda. I would have figured that alone would have made you incredibly hype, Seth. I, I love him, but like he came out and kind of said nothing. Like he came out and just said like, hi, yes, I'm working on this. Cool. We already knew you were working on it. Uh, yes, I'm very excited for it. Of course you are. Uh, yeah, I liked The Messenger cool story bro like there's no actual information given here like the game looks great i'm very hyped for it and like i can't wait to hear the music his involvement alone would would warrant a day one purchase for me but to me like and and you guys know this about me like i hate when people just give us non-information like the purpose of events like this is to give me information and I, I hate just being like strung along and just given these little morsels and here's a new trailer with no new info that, that always drives me crazy. So that's why I'm a little like, you know, cold on that. But I mean, the game looks great. I'm all over the game. Make no mistake. But yeah. But uh, we got another couple of games here that are probably going to wind up being forgotten just because of Sports Story on day five. But yeah. we did get shown off a game that honestly I thought was Wizard with a Gun for a few oh, minutes. Oh, right. It's just, yeah. It's this game called Dust and Neon, which, again, just because I said it reminded I basically thought it was Wizard with a Gun at first, should probably tell you a lot about the game already. But it could be cool. Could be cool. I think it looks neat. It's a twin stick roguelike shooter where you play as like a robot cowboy or something like some steampunk like robot cowboy. Looks like Looks Odd cool. World Strangers Wrath meets a uh, little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it looks neat. It's coming early 2023. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm into it. I'll, I'll keep my eye on it. Um, and then it was really funny when I saw this Undying game. Uh, my first thought was, does anybody remember Clive Barker's Undying? That's a, oh yeah, that's another wow. game. So when I when I saw that title, because you know <laughs> they the way they had the YouTube videos set up, they they had them broken into chapters with it. I'm like, they're bringing Clive Barker's Undying to the Switch. <laughs> like I literally thought that's what it was, but no, it's like this kind of top down like. Um, very like polygonal looking kind of vague, like stylistic, um, looks very dramatic, like kind of like visual novel sort of thing. Looks kind of interesting. Maybe something to keep your eye on comes out next spring. You know, so. it's so funny. You talk about that smile for me when I saw that just because, uh, of the, the horror movie that we got this past year. Smile. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's all I could think about for some reason when I saw that. <laughs> I just matched those two in my head and said, I just keep thinking about that. But yeah, so it's been a very eventful past couple of days. Uh, a lot of shadow drops from this cumulative, massive Indie World Showcase week that we've been uh, gifted this holiday season from Nintendo. A lot of really interesting games coming out right here at the tail bookend of 2022. A lot that are already really worth recommending. So, you know, if anything that we've said in the past half hour sounds interesting to you whatsoever, check it out. Again, these presentations are like four or five minutes a piece. So check them out. They're all on Nintendo's YouTube channel. We shared them all on social media. They're all super easy to find. And there's a lot of really interesting, really diverse titles inside the House of Indies from this past week's Advent Calendar. So check them out. Uh, I do want I, I do want to shout out one thing, though. It's not in the notes, but... Uh, I do want to let publishers and developers and advertisers know that what Nintendo did here was really cool. 
what Devolver Digital did this week is how you should not do holiday uh, advertisements for your games. Because what did you just talk about? Being really annoyed with Seth when people did presentations like this is not giving us information. A couple days ago, Devolver Digital dropped on us a half-hour holiday presentation, which was, in typical Devolver Digital fashion, a really weird and over-the-top and with quite a bit of anarchic devil imagery and a lot of bizarre stuff going on. The problem is, crucially, it was basically just a half-hour ad for, hey, check out our holiday sale, because they featured games with zero new information for any of them. They just replayed trailers that we'd already seen. And yes, games like The Plucky Squire still look phenomenal. Games like Pepper Grinder and Angerfoot still look really, really cool. But everything that we saw and everything that you told us is stuff that we are already well aware of. They even made a joke halfway through where the the main character of this presentation, Mr. Meatless, or whatever his name is, asked for dates for these games and one of the characters actually said f you yeah yeah and he said oh that stinks i really wanted dates and i'm back here like yeah it does stink devolver that actually does stink making a joke about it doesn't make it okay yeah. We got half an hour of Devolver Digital's presentation, which I typically really like. The problem is, is all of the presentations that we really like have actual announcements and information in headlines. How many headlines or how many stories have you seen ran about Devolver Digital's presentation from this past week? Because there was nothing to zero. say, Yeah, which stinks. Yep, so it was unfortunate. That- it really annoyed me. Yeah, that's a tale of how not to do it. I just wanted to say that if you're a publisher, that's that's how not to advertise your games. If you have no new information to show people, don't just create a half hour program, a half hour piece of marketing just for the lulls. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I don't really have much more to add to it than that. It super annoyed me. Felt like I wasted like 30 plus minutes of my life. It's fine. A uh, quick shout out to Tim's mom. Tim's got us up in his in his living room TV. So his mom Cindy says hi. Hi Tim's mom. Hi, hi Tim's Cindy. Mom. <laughs> happy holidays. But, um, Hope you guys yeah. are enjoying cookies and cocoa. Yes, happy holidays everybody. Uh really appreciate y'all tuning in. Um so yeah, I mean this is this is a total like uh you know textbook this is how not to do things. Totally agree with you. Let's talk about something else just real quick. Uh, <laughs> that is also how you should not do things, okay? Let's let's just talk about this, all right? Okay. All right. Let's, they let's, had so much good karma, so much good fanria. They had so much goodwill and just. We alluded to last week a little bit. There was an ESRB listing that cropped up for the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters coming to Nintendo Switch. Well, this week they were officially confirmed they're coming next spring. And Square Enix announced this like at midnight, like randomly yeah. in the middle of the night on like Monday or Tuesday or something. Um, and they said that, hey, these are coming. Great. You're going to be able to buy them all digitally as a bundle or piecemeal, whatever. Uh, it is also going to have a physical edition. Awesome. We love physical editions. Well, the physical editions are uh, $74.99 for the, for the standard edition of the game. And I believe $249 for the collector's edition of the game. $250, yep. 
They are in extremely limited quantities, meaning they sold out basically immediately, and they're exclusive to the Square Enix online store. You're not going to find them in the stores. Like, it, it's really not great. Um, now, the, the $74.99 price point for the physical actually doesn't really bother me. That's like $12 a game. That's fine. Like, I'm, I'm good with that. That's okay. Um... It's the the idea of producing them and and manufacturing, like creating scarcity for your audience who is very excited for this, who have been begging for this for a long time to have these on Switch. They're also coming to PlayStation and stuff. People have been begging for this and to say, hey, physical releases are going to be exclusive on our store. Get them now. And hey, just pay whatever we ask for them. Because otherwise, what would you rather do? Buy them off of some guy on eBay who's going to ratchet up the price? It sucks. Like, it really sucks. Yeah. So I happened to see when they announced it again at midnight, seemingly randomly, I guess after the ESRB rating got leaked, they just said, well, everybody knows. Let's just go ahead and throw it out into the wild. So Square Enix officially said, yes, all of these amazing games that you were incredibly disappointed weren't initially announced for console uh, consoles that were initially just announced for Steam and mobile. Yes, you, all of you wonderful Final Fantasy fans are finally going to have access to them. Speaking of Final Fantasy, we did a great side quest this past week on Final Fantasy. Check True. that out if you are a patron. However, after that immediate swelling of goodwill, yeah, hey, Come get these physical editions right now. I was actually very lucky. I actually was able to secure my pre-order for the standard edition for uh, for the Pixel Remastered. It's got a nice little slip cover. It's got, from what the listing said online, it's got all six games on one card, which was exactly what I was really hoping for. But yes, I can't deny that as incredibly excited as I am to have that confirmed and have that coming to me, it's kind of yucky how they did it because a lot of people have very rightfully took Nintendo to task over the years for doing something very similar with a lot of their products. I mean, we've talked just in this past year about a lot of the stupidity, frankly, that's gone on with the pre-orders for Xenoblade Chronicles. And a lot of the, a lot of the Amiibos initially were such small runs that so many people were up in arms about other people, about uh, Nintendo creating artificial scarcity over stuff like that, about Nintendo creating scarcity uh, over the NES and SNES classics that got released. And it stinks because, yeah, you have these people who were hoarding up these pre-orders, who are hoarding up these products only to sell them on eBay for 10 times the price. That's not what I'm going to do. But when you do stuff like that, you have people out there who will give you money. When you have stuff like that, all you're doing is funding the illegitimate purchase and the shady aftermarket purchases of these products. That's all you're doing. My thing is, is we're not even talking about the collector's edition is scarce, get in while you can. That's normal. That's what happened with Xenoblade was it was the collector's edition was the thing that was scarce. And that was unfortunate too, but at least that was the collector's edition. When the standard version of the game is in extremely limited quantities and you can't just walk into a store and buy it, it's only on the Square Enix store, get in now or you're just never going to get it. Like that to me is 
inexcusable. Like there's no, there's no reason to do that. Like I, it just drives me crazy. I don't understand like what the point of that is. You should just have that order for the standard in perpetuity. I should be able, if it's going to be an online store exclusive, I should be able to go onto that online storefront whenever I want and order a copy. Like that's how this works. That should be standard. If you're producing a physical for the game, it's wild. Thankfully, we're not the only ones talking about this in this light. And I'm hoping that, you know, we have we have shown that we have the power to to change things. We have shown that we have the power and that developers and publishers are listening to us. I'm hoping that once there's enough voices out there saying, hey, this really wasn't okay." I do hope that Square Enix will backtrack a little bit and be like, "Okay." Let's do a second, third, fourth, tenth run of these and make sure that, you know, at least most of the people who want to try to get their hands on one of these have an opportunity that they didn't just, you know, that that they're not just SOL because they didn't happen to be awake when these were shadow dropped out of nowhere. Because that was the that that was the biggest thing is the fact that not only did they just hey, these are up now, get them. They did it when the vast majority of people in the West weren't even awake. So many people woke up to, hey, this got announced last night and the physical is already sold out. I'm sure there were a lot of people that woke up like, oh, well, great, forget me then. Yeah, this is a thing and it's already sold out and uh, you're never going to be able to get it unless you go on eBay, sorry. Like that's uh, that sucks. So anyway, I don't want to dwell on it. It's it's unfortunate. I hope that they reverse the decision. I hope that they, you know, it, to, to me, it's it's like it's greed for greed's sake. It's because they don't want to work with retail partners. They don't want to give GameStop a cut of the physical or whatever the case may be, or Walmart or Amazon or whatever. They don't want to work with them. So they're like, let's just create our own scarcity and let's just order X amount of copies and guarantee that we're going to sell them. That's well, exactly I, it, what they did. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow evening, the CEO of Square Enix is going to be visited by three spirits. <laughs> That'd be great. They did it that all in be, one night. That would, <laughs> they did it all in one night. The spirits can do anything. Yeah. That would be amazing. That would be so great. <laughs> Holy that cow. That would be so cool. I would well love done. that. Little, good call. Little Christmas spirit. <laughs> yeah, good call. But uh, (laughs) all right, we've talked about that long enough. Um, Our notable Mm. releases this week, just to kind of wrap up, um, are basically the games we've already talked about. Yeah, everything Um, that dropped from inside the House of Indies this past week. We have, what, 10 shadow releases from this week? Two Something like that. Something like that. Let's just (laughs) go through these really quickly. Um, So we've already talked about all these, but Floppy Nights... Yep. uh, Mortal Shell Complete Edition, is that what it is? Yep, Mortal Um, Shell Complete Edition. The Punchuin, which again, there's a video on the YouTube channel if you want to check that out of me playing it really badly. Uh, if you're curious what that game is like. Uh, the Captain, um, Sonority, also a video on the YouTube channel. I don't play it badly, but see what you think about the game. Uh, Sailforth, Melatonin, which I also picked up and super excited about. Hyper Gunsport, which Eric picked up. So stay tuned for that. And Sports Story, which Eric also picked up and certainly the most prolific shadow drop of the entire event. So lots of notable releases and lots of shadow drops during this event, man. Yeah. So if you're anti-family this holiday weekend, you certainly have enough reasons to stay in. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. That's Mm -hmm. what we got, man. 
That is what we got, guys. It's been an interesting final week coming into the holidays with the world of Nintendo. But we just want to thank you all for spending uh, your weekends with us. Thank you all so much. And what? uh, let us know what you are doing this weekend. Let us. We already know what Tim's doing. Hi, Tim's family again. (laughs) We already know what Tim's doing. Let us know what you and your family are doing this holiday weekend. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. Make sure to check out all the amazing content that we produce for youtube.com slash all in podcast. In addition to this uh, weekly news broadcast that we do in addition to all the videos that Seth pops uh, pops out about all the amazing games that are coming out all the time. We do so, so much. You guys, we stay busy, but it's all for you. It's all for you. So this holiday season, we simply ask, you know, we just a little bit, you know, maybe mayhaps you could, uh, you know, like Bob Cratchit, you know, we could maybe have a little bit for become patrons. That's what I'm trying to <laughs> awkwardly get to at this point. Maybe become you should patrons. think about becoming a patron. Per- yeah. Perhaps, perhaps throw a little bit of guilt our way uh, this this <laughs> holiday a coin season. to your podcaster, <laughs> oh, Valley. Yeah. Yeah, over on patreon.com slash all in podcast. We've got three tiers of support and a lot of amazing people that support us there already. Thank you all so, so much. But it is the holidays, so if you don't have any guilt or coins to toss at us, I do understand there is a totally free and easy and fast way you can support us, and that's by dropping some words on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible, or leaving a five-star rating on Spotify. Very quick, easy, and free little Christmas slash Hanukkah gift you can give us this year we really appreciate Tim, it i expect everybody in your family to drop a five-star review in the next five minutes make it happen. <laughs> that's right make it happen <laughs> <laughs> no but genuinely from the bottom of our hearts thank you guys so much for hanging out with us each and every week whether you are patrons whether or not you just consume our content in any way shape or form whether you've dropped some words however you've been able to share what we do here at all in with you know the people in your life the people that you love just honestly Thank you and namaste. Namaste indeed, Eric. And you know, we talked a lot about uh, Nintendo's little indie advent calendar this week, but as it turns out, we have our own little advent calendar game to bring to the show for the folks this week. We do. And honestly, with Christmas, with the advent calendar, Indy has, this was really the perfect reason, the perfect time, the perfect episode to finally feature this really interesting, cool story from Nintendo history. This, you know, this weird, amazing little footnote. However, this is something a little unique for our show. Not quite a retrospective, not quite. It's its own little Christmas special presentation, essentially. That's right. So let's uh, crack open this advent calendar, bust open the cardboard, find the chocolate inside, and talk about Mission in Snowdrift Land. So Mission in Snowdrift Land, guys, you know we had to give you a really interesting conversation for our Christmas episode, but honestly, we were even thinking about talking about this game before Nintendo went all advent calendar this past week. And, you know, pretty obviously, because of the game's availability on Nintendo consoles, up to this point at least, it's not something that I've ever had the ability to check out. However, our amazing Seth actually not only 
has quite a bit of experience with Mission and Snowdrift Land. Seth, you did a full video series last year as a video advent calendar for All In. Yeah, there was a, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny. Um, on the YouTube channel last year, I thought it'd be fun to do like a little mission in Snowdrift land. Uh, let's play like advent calendar every day, a new video goes up kind of series and stuff and, uh, playing like the remastered version on, on, uh, on steam. And, uh, it was fun to do about 10 people watched it, but Hey, it was fun. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that, that is still, uh, back there on the YouTube channel. If, if y'all want to watch that. And I am kind of thinking uh, about possibly doing something like that again. So maybe stay tuned for that. But, yeah. um, but yeah, it's a, it's a special little game and it's one that I think that the vast majority of our audience probably has never heard of. And I think it's a shame. It's kind of like a forgotten little hidden gem in Nintendo's history, kind of a nice little interesting pit stop in Nintendo history that uh, a lot of people don't know about. And it's great to sit here and do like big, you know, bombastic retrospectives on, you know, classics like Wind Waker and stuff like that. But every now and then I do like bringing, it's cool to be able to bring a little bit of that, maybe like keep Nintendo weird flavor into, uh, <laughs> into all in and tell, tell some people about uh, a corner of Nintendo history they may not have known about. Well, this is, uh, I mean, when it comes to Nintendo history, you want to talk about a corner. This is a very small corner, maybe even a footnote of Nintendo history up to this point. But, you know, it is really interesting. It's just one of the things that goes to show you what you can really do. Not necessarily the heights you can achieve, but a lot of the really interesting and unique things that only video games are kind of capable of doing. These experiences that you can really only get from interactive media. Stuff like this. I mean, it's great to play like super Christmas, you know, winter themed games, but these smaller bite size, more nuanced kind of experiences. It is nice for every sweeping adventure to see something more simple and down to earth like this. Yeah. And, and for those who, um, who are learning about this game for the first time, uh, mission in Snowdrift land, it's at its full title actually is you pick. So are you P I X O in action mission in Snowdrift land. That's just the name of like the corporation that the game sort of has its set dressing, but it's a flash game essentially. Um, that was published by Nintendo, uh, in the mid two thousands. It first released on December 1st, 2006, and it was an advent calendar flash game that you could play on your web browser. And the idea was they, they hired a like fairly prolific WiiWare developer at the time. Uh, they went by tons of bits, um, and they made this game called Chick Chick Boom on WiiWare and stuff like that. It's kind of like, you know, as this stuff is kind of kicking up, they're a pretty prolific Flash developer making a name for themselves. They get picked up by Nintendo to uh, to do this Flash game as a web browser, but it was kind of like cross-promotional for Nintendo games coming out at the time. So the idea was every day you would come back, play a level of Mission in Snowdrift Land, and your reward for beating that day's level was like a set of downloads for an upcoming Nintendo game. So things like Yoshi's Island DS, Metroid Prime Hunters, things like that. You would beat the level and then you would get like a wallpaper pack or maybe like a piece of music or something like that. Just like a fun little advent calendar treat of a game. Um, but what a lot of people, you know, might have not 
they, they might have turned their nose up at that and just looked at it as being just a little whatever Flash game. It's actually a really, really well-made 2D platformer, like, with the Nintendo level of polish and quality. Like, it's very good. It's just a great game. Despite being just functionally a marketing tool for other yeah. more higher profile Nintendo first party games. Yeah, it is a it was basically just a glorified marketing tool. But what a lot of people were struck with in playing this um, when I was young, you know, like coming onto the website and playing this every day was something that I truly looked forward to. And it was, you know, it has all the trappings of like a traditional Flash game, but it really was those controls the way that the protagonist, whose name is Chubby Snow, by the way, um, <laughs> who's this sort of fez hat wearing, you know, little cute snowman. And he kind of has like the, you know, the big round head with the small beady eyes. Kind of reminds me of like the um, like the Backyard Sports series, you know, like okay. the, those old yeah. PC games. Kind of reminds me of that, but it has just like really beautiful art. You know, great, like, simple melodies with the music and just the controls, like, the tightness of the controls. It's like a super well-made uh, 2D platformer with collectibles, things to unlock, a kind of, like, fun, irreverent sense of humor. Um, and it was just, like, way... It was one of those things where it was just way better than it had any right to be. <laughs> You're just like, what is this, <laughs> like, little thing? So, really cool. So it was only available in web browsers, not available on any Nintendo actual platforms, no. despite advertising Nintendo games. So this was not on the WiiWare, despite WiiWare being kind of the perfect platform for it. Yeah, yeah, this was specifically a Flash game, um, again, made by developers who are familiar with that, but who were also working on stuff on WiiWare. And it was interesting because... The 2006, you know, December season, again, launches on the 1st of December, and you get a new level every day until Christmas, just like an advent calendar. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't available on the actual, like, console itself, which I, I do remember a few people were kind of, like, scratching their heads about that, even at the time. Um, but, like... It, yeah, it would have been the perfect thing to promote that stuff from within the console itself. And frankly, more people would have played it had it been. Um, I don't know if that was just like a mishap in communication with Nintendo. It seems like it was made on a fairly short development cycle, um, which is also interesting. But it, it even like kind of, I don't know, like just just the, the tone of it and like the the little world that they've built with, with these characters, like the, the basic story setup is really kind of funny. Um, you is this organization, the United pixel heroes organization, um, which is like this bureaucratic corporate place. <laughs> and it's essentially the, um, the, the house, the, the place that like, uh, classic video game like files are held like if there is a classic video game its files are stored at upixo and um this evil penguin named l pix uh <laughs> raids upixo and steals all of the game files from it so uh they need they 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 need somebody to go through these different levels and take down l pix and restore uh the game files um, so you get this kind of like quirky cast of characters, including Professor Schwabel, who is this, um, 
kind of like big purple grimace looking guy. Um, I'm sorry. I've just got to stop you for a second. Just everything you've just said about the story. I'm sorry. My head cannon is now Wario from his WarioWare company hired Elpix to sabotage his competitors. That's my head cannon. Now you can't mess with that. It, it wouldn't really be that out of place, honestly. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it wouldn't be that out of place. But it, it's funny because Chubby Snow is sort of rec- um, recruited into this cause, like almost by accident. He comes into Upixo to complain about him being given bad roles as a video game protagonist. <laughs> he's like, the game opens with him showing them, like he's filing a complaint saying like, look, like I, I was, ca- I'm a snowman. I was cast in like a desert game, <laughs> you know? And it shows like him just being like melted in the desert and stuff. And, um, because he's just, you know, right place, right time. They recruit him to, to help take down L picks and get back the game files. So actually the reward canonically in the game at the end of each stage is an artifact but it's always like a you know a legally nondescript but very obviously what they're going for like the you know an alien from space invaders or pac-man pellet you know or something like that so they they sort of like get get around stuff like that so you're basically as chubby snow like restoring video game history uh from an evil penguin so you know that tells you kind of all you need to know. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> like you do. But you, you've said it's, you know, a 2D platformer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of moving from left to right. Obviously, there's a lot of jumping from platform to platform. But beyond that, I mean, what is the gameplay? Do you just, uh, can you hop on enemies' heads? I assume there's not much combat to speak of. You do play as a little adorable snowman. Can you throw snowballs? Like, what's... What's the moment-to-moment gameplay, or is it honestly just that simple being a Flash game? Is it just run, jump, win? Yeah, it is very much from the... You know, you could be mistaken, both in playing the game and like and like looking at it in motion. You could be forgiven for thinking that this was like a mod for Super Mario World or something. Um, because it has really gorgeous like pixel art and stuff like that. But yeah, kind of like how Mario never gets like super bogged down in his moveset, uh, Chubby Snow has a very simplistic moveset. Yeah, you're running, you bounce on enemies' heads to uh, to take him out. There's actually a lot of enemy variety in the game. But what's interesting is rather than giving Chubby Snow like a ton of different like variety in his moves or attacks or anything like that, what they've done is they've used the environmental design to to make the gameplay much more varied throughout the course of it. So there will be enemies where you can't jump on their heads. You can only avoid them, go around them, or whatever. You can't actually take them out. There will be enemies that you have to sort of time correctly in your platforming because, for example, there will be like otters that come in and out of the water. Um, there will be like these enemies that you have to hit multiple times to take down. There will be enemies that... Um, come out at like odd angles like these whales will sort of like breach the water at an odd angle and you have to be prepared for that there's a lot of like sort of learning the level and learning when enemies are gonna appear and kind of learning what to do when you see them Um, but yeah there's you know there's flying enemies there's like these big like kind of like snowy like eagle vulture things that you can like jump (laughs) on and actually kind of ride on for a second Um, 
they do a lot of like there, there's a couple of different locales in the game the the first locale is your typical like sort of snowy mountainous area or whatever but eventually you wind up going to like a forest that has like spiders and spider webs that like chubby snow can climb on um like a sort of like fire area um which you know somehow doesn't melt chubby snow and in fact somehow also still has snowflake collectibles in it well uh, because I mean, why not you know it's just all the times he was put into those wrong places in the games it was just making you know whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger he was put into the <laughs> desert game specifically to become harder to become better, to become tougher, to be able to survive in these austere environments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, so they get a lot of variety out of the actual, you know, level layout and stuff like that versus getting really bogged down in Chubby's, like, kit. Because he doesn't, He you know, he really does just, like, you know, he he can run, jump. There There is a certain um, slidiness to the, to the movement, which is kind of like, uh, at first, difficult to wrap your head around. Um, but once you do, there's a, it, it almost reminds me of Donkey Kong Country. Like how once you understand the way Donkey Kong Country feels, you can just like carve through those levels like a hot knife through butter. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the way that they, even, even the way that Donkey Kong Country like um, sets up the enemies to where you can just sort of bounce on them and keep moving. Like it almost feels like a like a really well-made Mario maker level or something where it's just like, if you know what you're doing, you can just like blitz right through it. Mission in Snowdrift Land is very similar. Um, so it almost feels like this, this super Mario world game by way of donkey Kong country design is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, a couple other different, uh, pseudo biomes that you get to go through. However, it is still mission in Snowdrift Land. If this game had come out last week or something, maybe we could have talked about it for the the top five winter based games in Nintendo history. But yeah. uh, the thing is, like, there's there's twenty five levels or twenty four levels. Yeah, it's like twenty four, and then there's like the final encounter yeah. with Elpix. Yeah, yeah. Is Elpix the only boss? He's the only real boss. Yeah, there are the others are very much like levels and you you'll have a couple of encounters in the game that are like that are not quite bosses. I wouldn't even really call them mini bosses, but but they'll have like every so often kind of a big special enemy that you have to mm -hmm. kind of contend with in a, in a level. But, but yeah, El Pix is the is the real, you know, true final boss. Nice. Uh, when it comes to. Uh, the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. uh, is it just Mariah Carey the entire time? What's going on? <laughs> That'd actually be kind of great. Um, you know, they had very limited capabilities when you're talking about a flash-based, you know, web game. Yeah. Um, so there, there wasn't a whole lot they could work with. If you, there's something nostalgic. I, I, I'm struggling to think of the best, these sort of like MIDI web-based early to mid 2000s pieces of music that is very like nostalgic to me they had to kind of like do a lot with a little they had to you know they, they had such a limited like chipset and such a limited soundscape to work with but somehow they make I, I can even hear in my head right now the 
the main sort of theme of Mission in Snowdrift Land, when you get into the first set of stages, like that, like it has this kind of like catchy, it's very Nintendo. It's very, you know, straightforward Koji Kondo style melodies. Um, it just feels, it feels right. It feels very like the, the whole game feels like it would be right at home amongst other Nintendo games. Um, and, and that's something that, that I think I, I really want people to sort of like understand is you might look at it and say, this is just like whatever, a throwaway flash game, but like, it really is like at the core of it to that same level of quality. And I think that's why Nintendo wanted to work with these people in the first place is because they they saw the quality of the game. I, they may have even been working on this game beforehand, and Nintendo swooped it up. Like, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. So That wouldn't surprise me either. But it is weird, because, you know, well, we have seen Nintendo branch out away from their own console, especially in recent years, with uh, the mobile platforms. But, you know... They're such masters of video game software. It's just such a weird, bizarre oddity that, like, it honestly just feel like it's a completely different platform. You're creating something. You're facilitating the creation of something on so, like a completely different entertainment platform, as essentially just a commercial for you as a daily as a holiday themed commercial it's almost like it's almost as if an xbox game came out and at the end of each level the end boss would say good job make sure to go pick up a nintendo switch but it was only on the xbox series x or something that's just how i look at it. it's just so weird it's yeah it's man it's just <laughs> what yeah it, it's it's funny because i almost feel like what they were trying to do here is tap into cuz you know anybody who was around and active on the internet in the like early to mid 2000s flash games were huge they were like it, this is sort of tapping into i think they were trying to speak to the kids who were on like new grounds and stuff like this all day you know oh, what yeah. i mean like I, I think this is the kind hey, of you know, pets players, one thousand percent. Like I think they were trying to sort of speak to that market, to like the the kids who are playing games like you know like the stuff you saw on Neopets and Newgrounds and these Flash games and stuff. Like, and this doesn't feel unlike even some of the stuff like the Behemoth was doing in those like early Flash days. Like, yep. it does exist at that kind of like weird Flash game cross section. Um, and even the humor, like the humor is kind of like Teen Girl Squad, you know, strong, bad kind of humor. Like it, you know, it kind of has that vibe to it. So I, I, I think that Nintendo sort of saw that these people were working on this little project. And I don't know if Nintendo, because Nintendo is, is credited as the publisher of the game and everything, but I don't know how many um, development resources they provided to Tons of Bits. I don't know if Nintendo actually, I imagine they did, like provide feedback on the actual gameplay because it's got mm-hmm. their stamp on it. Um, yeah. what, like literally whenever you played it, the screen would be just a small box window of you playing the game. It would say you pick so in action mission in snowdrift land and then big old Nintendo logo next to it. And then like half the screen is whatever game that day was advertising, <laughs> you know? So 
Like, it was a big Nintendo ad that was made to appeal to the kids playing Flash games at the time. And so oddly enough, again, this has never been available on a Nintendo platform. However, this came out back in the mid-2000s, and then last year, almost randomly, it got re-released on Steam after a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, not so randomly. So here, there's that's an interesting story, too. So the way we arrive at that, um, so the game comes out January, uh, sorry, December 1st, 2006. Uh, they were going to take the game offline um, in early January, wound up taking it offline January 16th, because that was the, the whole idea of the game. It's an advent calendar. You're going to play it for this amount of time, and then it's going to go away forever. Bye-bye. So online, people who played it and loved it were literally writing Nintendo, saying that they wanted it back. Flash forward to four years later in 2010 and Nintendo does bring it back yet again as a Flash game, not as like a new WiiWare product or whatever. They basically just turned the game back on, um, on the, uh, on, on the webpage. But See, that's this the time, thing. Uh, see, that's the thing like this because of the bite-sized nature of it and because of how brief the entire experience is, because the videos that you did are only like six, seven, eight minutes a piece. Some like of them it, are. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll, this, these are not, you know, super long in-depth chunks of game, you know, altogether they make a nice media experience, but individually it's not, it's a fairly brisk experience. So this is something that I imagine if they, really wanted to nintendo could have just come back to every year like hey it's december again make sure to play mission snowdrift land and check out the new wallpapers the new goodies that we have for holiday of you know 20xx yeah i i don't really know why they didn't do that but i almost wonder if they were like gauging that level of interest or if they were um or if they were apprehensive about just rolling the same version of the game out. Like, in a perfect world, I would have loved it if they just, you know, had those people on the hook to just make a new mission in Snowdrift Land every year. Yeah. Like, that that would have been great. I don't know if maybe they weren't interested in doing that. But um, either way, in 2010, that, that December season in 2010... They turned the webpage back on, but this time they offered uh, WiiWare games kind of as downloads. I'm talking, you know, little 99 cent, you know, or less WiiWare games or things or downloads related to WiiWare games uh, baked into it. So you would play it and the studio's other game, Chick Chick Boom, you could get a download code for it by completing the level or whatever. Um, Or I think probably the most prolific game that they offered as a part of this, I think one of the Bit Trip games, maybe the first Bit Trip game or something. Yeah, it was offered as part of it. So that was kind of the last hurrah for Mission in Snowdrift Land. Hey, we're putting this out. You have the opportunity to get a collection of like cheap WiiWare games. And here you go. We've heard you. This is for the fans sort of thing. Um, Then it went away again. And then a couple of years ago, this YouTuber, Nick Robinson, uh, makes a video about Mission in Snowdrift Land. He's a very popular YouTuber, and it got a lot of attention. He actually tracked down the original developers. The video ends up getting a lot of traction, people being like, oh my god, you just unlocked, you know, a hidden memory for me. I totally forgot about this. 
And that was what made me sort of like think about, I hadn't thought about Mission in, before his video, I hadn't thought about Mission in Snowdrift Land in years, you know. And then he puts that video out, sort of generates a lot of attention for Mission in Snowdrift Land again, and that gave the developers the confidence that they needed to start to be like, hey, how do we, how can we work around uh, getting the rights to this. Can we figure out what's going on? Does Nintendo have the rights? Are we even allowed to remaster this game? So they worked it out with Nintendo. Nintendo allowed them to remaster the game. Uh, they launched a Kickstarter. And then, yeah, like late last year, came to Steam as a as a remastered version of Mission in Snowdriftland. And that's the version of the game I played on the YouTube channel. So it's just kind of a cool little story to to get us where we are now, man. It is the Kickstarter wound up getting over uh, over twice its its goal. Its uh, original goal was uh, fifteen thousand. It wound up getting thirty five over thirty five thousand with over fifteen hundred backers. So yeah, I guess there's you know no matter how niche a title, there's always you know there's always a fan out there. Absolutely. And um, again, it's it's just a really, really well done game. And I just love that we have a way to play it forever now. You know, it's it's really, really cool. And um, just, again, an interesting little stop in Nintendo history that maybe not a lot of people knew about. But yeah, I definitely think everybody should go back and check out the videos that you did last year. Uh, all the entire Mission Snowdrift Land is up on the YouTube channel right now, youtube.com slash all in podcast. I know Seth teased a little bit. He was thinking about maybe going through again. Mayhaps, tease, tease, mayhaps. Tease. But, you know, let us know if you knew about Mission Snowdrift Land before this week. <laughs> let us yes. know reach out to us on facebook reach out to us on twitter uh let us know what you know look the game up and uh let us know what you think about mission in snowdrift land and what was the name of the the little snowman in mission snowdrift chubby land, snow chubby snow the adorable chubby little snowman snow. protagonist yeah chubby little snowman protagonist they actually one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this game was because of obviously it's it's winter uh feeling and you know here we are at christmas and i hope everybody winds up getting i i hope everybody winds up having a white christmas i hope you have enough snow to make a snow apocalypse of snowmen uh just like chubby snow but you know Seth, you and I don't really have the the option, the ability to make too many snowmen, unfortunately, where we are. However, that's where video games have always been able to help. There have been a ton, not just of Chubby Snow, there have been a ton of really memorable snowmen characters throughout Nintendo history in both family-friendly versions and some non-family-friendly versions. We actually found some horror-based snowman <laughs> games on Earth. That was interesting. However, we just wanted to talk about some. There's so many interesting snowmen throughout Nintendo history that, honestly, we just wanted to count down the greatest for you this week in our top five. That's right, Eric. This week in the show, we want to build a snowman. But first, tell us the rules, would you please? You want to build this? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, we're talking about actual snowmen. We're not talking about yetis. No. No yetis in this list. So 
Sorry, all you Yeti. That's another list for another day. That's actually a decent idea. We may actually come back to that at some point. Top five Yetis. That is not today. (laughs) Top five Yetis. We could make it work. Like top five. I'm about to say, we've done weirder. (laughs) We've done weirder. But no, today is just talking about snowmen. Uh, Adorable little, you know, piles of hand rolled snowballs stacked up to look like some vaguely human form replete with some type of stick arms and or corn cob nose a button pipe potentially a top hat mayhaps but they're snowmen we all know what snowmen and snow people are i don't know how much semantics we really want to throw in here yeah, that's fair. I mean, we should say... If there's stacks of snowballs with vaguely human features, right. I think it counts. Right, but we, we should say one thing that um that, that I think is a crucial distinction. We're not just talking about those, those kind of like background, near nameless enemies like the snowmen in Kid Icarus Uprising or the Sir Slushes in Banjo-Kazooie. Just the ones that just sort of like throw snowballs at you or whatever. <laughs> like Yeah, like the, the, the Sir Frosties and Spirit Tracks. Right. Yeah. There's, you know, those are just sort of like there for the most part. We're just, we're talking about just like the actual characters or things that have like a core piece of their design in the game as snowmen. And to kick off my list, I'm actually with my number five going with Chili from the Kirby series. Well, Seth, didn't you just say? Yeah, I know. I know. But Chili's, yes, they are an enemy type. And yes, they do kind of fall in line with what I'm talking about, like in the in the rules or whatever. But they are actually like worked into the design and gameplay of Kirby. I mean, Kirby's whole deal is that he, you know, inhales his enemies and steals their abilities, right? Copy abilities is the whole deal with Kirby. So, yep, chilies are almost off like almost always worked into the design of the given stage like Kirby if he needs an ice ability or the freeze ability in games where it's the freeze ability instead there's gonna be a chili there and um I I think they've become like kind of an iconic enemy in the Kirby franchise I think that um you know I I always like seeing them it's it's kind of a simplistic snowman design but I like their little ice hats their little, you know, collar bell things, their little cute arms and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it, it is, I, I would say that any Kirby enemy, just by nature of them giving him a copy ability, is a step above something like just a background, you know, nameless enemy that just tosses snowballs at you. They, they're a little bit more and than let, that. Let, let, let's be completely honest. When it comes to Kirby games in general, Kirby games, for the most part, are so easy that many of the enemies, quote unquote, and they aren't really obstacles. They're essentially just power ups that could hurt you. Right. Essentially. Yeah. So and and Chili's have been there, you know, basically the entirety of the series. Um, they have they have been very synonymous, you know, like when when you see a Chili like you you know what time it is <laughs> you know like you you know that you're probably going to need that ability they were in the anime as well um so yeah, yeah just an iconic kirby enemy man little snowman and i think a lot of people i think a lot of people sleep on the ice slash freeze ability it's a lot more useful than people realize it gives you a decent little speed boost and it makes kirby ice skate everywhere so good 
Oh, I love that so makes much. Makes Kirby ice skate everywhere, which is awesome. But in addition to that, it can freeze enemies midair, create, you know, turn enemies into platforms for Kirby to use to get even higher as if his flight ability couldn't already do that. Yes, I get it. But in addition to that, you could also push them through midair. You could turn enemies into your own frozen projectiles which is kind of sadistic but also awesome yeah and and, you know again this is kind of like a celebration more of the ice or freeze ability of kirby but what are these enemies if like you said if not just living versions of the abilities they give kirby (laughs) (laughs) but for my number five for my number five We talk about a lot of Pokemon in these types of lists because at this point there's over a thousand Pokemon. There's effectively a Pokemon for anything. But I'd like to think that when we put a Pokemon on the list, it's because that is a genuinely interesting take on whatever it is we're talking about. I just don't want to say, you know, if we're talking about top five fish, I don't want to just throw in Finian or something because, hey, it's a fish and it qualifies. I want there to be something interesting going on and as far as i'm concerned there is something incredibly interesting going on with my number five galarian darminitan ah yes it is is a little bit of a snowman isn't it is a little bit of a snowman a regional variant for galar the original darminitan was kind of like a a, a japanese chinese zen lion kind of thing mm-hmm it would turn into this weird, uh, like Buddha, uh, like this weird Oni ape or something. However, crucially, it had a bi- uh, an ability that once it got down to half of its HP, it would go to uh, go into what it calls Zen mode. It would turn into this Zen statue, and its typing would actually change. It would go from a fire to a fire psychic, and in the Galar region, the Darminitan kept this ability now we said no yetis and you could possibly make the argument that galarian darminitan kind of looks like a yeti yeah that we could go a little bit round and round on that what you can't deny is that when darminitan when galarian darminitan goes into its zen mode like that is 1000 percent a snowman right one thousand percent a snowman but really interestingly, when it goes into this Zen mode, it gains one of the most interesting typings I've ever seen in Pokemon. The Galarian Darminitan goes from being a pure ice type to an ice slash fire type. Yeah, got that big old jet of flame in place of a carrot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. instead of a carrot for a nose, it's got like this welder's torch flame coming out of its face. Uh, it's it's a snowman that becomes a fire type. That's hilarious. There's been a couple snowmen in video game history that just really lean into it a lot. Uh, Rusty the Snowman from Earthworm Jim being the guardian of the fiery planet Heck also kind of reminds me of this, but... Having Galarian Darminitan, once it gets to half its HP, tra- like just straight up transform into a snowman, and somehow that gains it a fire type? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? That's awesome and weird, and I kind of love it, but also what? <laughs> but also what and Why? 
<laughs> we have questions. <laughs> yes, it's it's a flaming snowman. You know what? Maybe there you go. Chubby uh, Chubby Snow has just laid the groundwork for snowmen uh, resisting and embracing flame. Oh, there you go. There we go. There you go. Well done, Chubby. Yeah, Chubby ran and slide uh, slid so that Galarian Darmanitan could uh, could become a, a ice fire. You know why not? Yeah, could could become a fire breathing snowman god. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll roll with it. Uh, going into my number four, this is another one that I sort of, you know, I, I, I kind of shouted out the, I think they're called Sir Slushes from Banjo, um, as being mm-hmm. kind of, you know, again, one of those near nameless enemies or whatever. Well, it's kind of funny that my number four actually is nameless, but is much more a centerpiece of the game in question in Banjo Kazooie. I think everybody probably expected that the giant snowman from Freeze Easy Peak was going to be somewhere on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, had to be, right? Um, the giant <laughs> snowman is the centerpiece of that stage. Again, doesn't have like some huge, you know, character arc or development or whatever, but um, so much of that stage revolves around this giant snowman. The scarf that Banjo can like slide down, um, the notes that are all around that snowman, the pipe that has, I believe, a jiggy inside of it. Um, you know, there's, there's that entire stage sort of comes to this snowman at its center. And like anything in Banjo, it's got googly eyes abound. So, um, I, <laughs> That's true. I just, I just love it. It's, it's a classic iconic stage in one of my favorite games of all time. I couldn't not shout it out. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, even though you'll find any reason to talk about Benji Kazooie, that is that is fair. We're talking about the greatest snowman in video game history and a centerpiece of one of the best levels of one of the greatest 3D platformers of all time. That's a fair point. Yeah, and and came back by the way, in in so many ways in uh, in nuts and bolts. Yeah, I know people like to forget oh, that nuts and right. bolts existed. Oh but... my god, I forget about that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of there's a there is a part of me that kind of wishes nuts and bolts would come to Switch. Because I, I think that game is really underrated, but I digress. Love that giant snowman. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, for my number four, my number four is Bad Mr. Frosty. Of course. The Play Fighter series. Had to be there, right? <laughs> I mean, but I mean, if you're a gamer of a certain age, Bad Mr. Frosty, Clay Fighter was... A really cool, albeit horribly jank, fighting game franchise between the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo 64, made by Interplay. Uh, If you've played Claymates on the Super Nintendo NSO, that's basically the, the, the art style and, you know, kind of the gameplay engine that we're talking about. But Clay Fighter is exactly that. You have a bunch of these Claymated characters who they've thrown into a fighting game together. And Bad Mr. Frosty was basically the poster child for this entire franchise. If you look at the game cartridges for both Clay Fighter and (laughs) the hilariously named Clay Fighter 63 and a third, (laughs) Bad Mr. Frosty is right there front and center, like eyeing you down, like giving you the player, the stink eye. He looks like he's walking right off the cartridge on the Super Nintendo, and it looks like he's trying to punch you in the face from on the uh, from on the sticker art on the Nintendo 64, uh, 63 and the third cartridge. 
he was very much front and center of most of the marketing for the franchise. And he's just this really cool, deadly, bipedal snowman. They gave him a ton more personality. Well, they gave everybody a ton more personality in 63 and a third. Still really jank, but Mr. Fro- uh, bad Mr. Frosty went from being kind of a generic snowman to like just a snow murderer, a snow psychopath, <laughs> essentially. He could turn his... Uh, he could turn his appendages into ice picks. He had some legitimately gruesome, what they called claytalities on 63 and a third because the, uh, because I mean, because it was just that kind of game. He actually had this one where he explodes the enemy character and then he uses the blood to make a snow cone because that's the type of game we're talking about. But still it was, it's, it's bad jank fun Super jank, but I would still be really thrilled if the Clay Fighter games came to the uh, to the NSO apps. I think they'd be a ton of stupid fun, even if we got online and just, you know, threw weird clay limbs around. I also love the part in 63 and a third where when you hit your opponent, like just random clay things come off of them. Instead of hit sparks, there's just like weird, small clay entities that fall off like you're... <laughs> like you're knocking bugs off of Oogie Boogie or something. <laughs> I, I know, I know that people, especially in the FGC, don't take Clay Fighter super seriously. But it in terms was of just never meant to be taken yeah, seriously, exactly, exactly. If they made another one, if they announced another one, I'm on board. As bad and as jank as the other two are, I'm on board. If they announce another one, and of course you can expect Bad Mister Frosty to be right there, front and center for the uh, to complete the trilogy. And oh, Sculptor's yeah. Cut is still ridiculously expensive. Oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, bring back Clay Fighter. Make a good Clay Fighter. That'd be pretty sick. That'd be awesome. That that's that's awesome. Another Realm's next game. New Clay Fighter from Another Realm. Dude, I'm down. <laughs> it would come full circle because they had claytalities in 63 yeah. and a third. So now it comes full circle. There That'd we be kind go. Kind of amazing. That'd be kind of they amazing. They had some really cool guest characters. Uh, Earthworm Jim was in there. Boogerman was in there. So yes. it got a lot of notoriety. Yes. Bring back Clay Fighter. Uh, well, going into my number three, you know, this is probably one of the only times you'll hear me shout this game out on the show. And I'll take the opportunity. My number three is actually the Snow King from Mario Golf Super Rush. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Mario Golf Super Rush is not a great game. Um, You know, has really good gameplay, uh, I I think, which is a recurring theme of the modern Mario sports games. Um, and, And I had fun with that game, but it does have, a lot of people forget... Uh, Mario Golf Super Rush does have a single player story mode um, Mm -hmm. and it's not great, but the final boss of the single player story is the king of the snowmen, the snow king, Um, kind of sets the game's events into motion, takes over uh, the Bowser Highlands, you know, freezes them all over. Uh, in cases Bowser, I think there's like some <laughs> junk where Bowser like falls asleep and gets frozen or something like that. You know, whatever. <laughs> Maybe Bowser should have yielded. He, I guess so. <laughs> that was that was his mistake. That, um, that was the part from the movie trailer that we missed. 
Right. And it's, and like, it's stupid, right? Like the Mario Golf Super Russia story is stupid, but this is a pretty cool, I kind of like that the, because it is golf, right? Weather plays such a significant part in golf. And that's actually how they narratively explain the various weather conditions that they expose you to in the other stages of the game, um, which is kind of cool. Like because Snow King froze over the Bowser Highlands, the other stages had unusually like varied weather conditions. Um, so I kind of respect that a little bit weirdly, like somebody put a little bit of thought into this, right? And then you get to the Snow King and it's one of the few boss fights in the story mode. And it's actually kind of a cool boss fight. You're running around with your me and you're, you know, dodging the Mr. Blizzards and freezies and snow pokies that he's throwing at you. Um, and you're essentially just like cracking through his like snow shield with the power of flame or whatever and, you know, blowing <laughs> him up. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like a pretty fun little final boss fight. And, you know, in, in, I think those boss fights are kind of like maybe the one saving grace of that single player otherwise. So, you know, again, I, it, it's nice to have a nice thing to say about that game. So I, I definitely wanted to shout out the Snow King. Nice. I respect that. Ironically enough, my number three is also a Nintendo boss battle. My mm. number three is Bleak from Donkey Kong Country 3, the best of the original trilogy. Oh, gosh. Well, okay, so not not only are you incorrect about that, sir. I'm sorry, it's DKC2. <laughs> but Bleak is nightmare fuel, y'all. Oh, my gosh. I re- And it's not just because he's just a boss fight in a Nintendo game. One of the things that makes him stand out for me, one of the things that makes him so memorable, uh, especially in this game, was they they had a really interesting addition to Swanky's tent. If you remember Swanky mm. Kong from the original Donkey Kong Country trilogy, he had these little mini games that you could take part in to win uh, banana coins and, and bananas and and some other stuff. In Donkey Kong Country 3, they gave him an interesting new minigame where you were basically at a a baseball throwing gallery. Yeah, And you were trying to hit targets and you were going up against Cranky Kong. And I thought it was actually really cool. I really enjoyed it. Uh, there wasn't too, too much you could get out of it, but it was a nice momentary distraction. But they decided to take that little game engine that they put in the game and they turned it into a full-on boss fight and that's your boss battle against Bleak as they turned this little carnival game, baseball throwing uh, carnival game into a full-on snowball boss fight, which was awesome. It was pretty awesome. (laughs) It was (laughs) awesome. So you would be uh, on the bottom of the screen and you would have Bleak who would go up and, and go down, he'd be able to access several different layers of the stage and he would just pop up all over the stage and just launch these massive snowballs at you. And you just had to, to try to tag them whenever you could. It was the most unique boss fight. It was the only non-platforming style boss fight in the game, which right. automatically made it stand out. But still to this day, it's probably my favorite boss fight in the game. I still like the one against K. Rulenstein at the very end of the game, but I honestly feel like Bleak is probably the best boss fight, maybe in the entire original trilogy Oof. for my money. Oof. The strong words. It's, I know, it is but cool. it's just, 
It is so unique, but after so many platforming style boss fights, it was so cool to see something so refreshing, but still so fun at the same time. I really, really like that boss fight in DKC3. Yeah. Horrific enemy design. Nightmare fuel enemy design. <laughs> it's um, pretty scary. It, and he's cool. Like he's shooting, he's throwing snowballs at you, shooting them out of his like top hat. Yeah, he's a cool, cool boss. Yeah. And it does, it does it is nice to have like just something, anything to shake up you know, the gameplay just automatically oh, yeah. makes it stand out. Oh yeah. For sure. Uh, going into my number two, my number two is actually, um, one that is, you know, especially now that we're in the switch era and the vast majority of switch owners own a copy of animal crossing, new horizons, pretty likely that anybody listening to this has encountered the snow folk, uh, in animal crossing. Um, and I think that like, What's always attracted me to the snow folk, the snow people, whatever, um, who I believe have been there since the beginning of the franchise, um, having them sort of like pop up, having these snowballs pop up in your island, village, whatever the case may be, whatever version of Animal Crossing you're playing, um, and having to like sort of create the perfect snowman, I think is fun. And there's a little bit of like a science to it. And I think it's kind of fun to like sort of learn what exactly you need to do to make the perfect snowman. Then they'll talk to you and they will either praise or berate your ability to make them correctly, uh, which is great. Um, what was really cool too is um, in New Leaf, they would have like, and you could make like a snow mom, dad, son and everything. Um, and in New Leaf, they actually played like into an advent calendar, like bingo card thing. So just kind of like creates the cozy vibes of the holiday, um, gives you, you know, pieces of like an ice set or, um, or a snow set or whatever. Or See, I that's think in, the thing. That's the yeah. thing is if you can, if you build the perfect snowman in Animal Crossing, especially in New Horizons, you get the large snowflake crafting item and the ice furniture set in that game is so cool. It's that like my entire bedroom in my house was done like with a frozen hotel ice set motif. That's my entire top floor of my house because I love that set so much. Yeah, it's super cool. Like I, I just I love the way that's <laughs> all presented. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah, that was an accident, but I'll take it. Um it, it's it's great. And and you know, again, it just sort of like I I enjoy, I always like when there is a new like seasonal thing to add to your sort of daily list of chores, <laughs> you know, where it's like, Hey, I have like one more thing that I can do during the holiday season. I know that I'm going to find somewhere on my Island snowballs that I'm going to need to roll around. And as annoying as it could be, try to create the perfect snowman. You know, I, I really, because... really like it. Yeah, because unlike some of the holiday crafting items that you could argue were way too saturated, like the air eggs and like just the eggs in general right. for the Easter event, like you only had one chance a day to make yep. a snowman and to get that large snowflake item. And if you messed it up, you messed it up. Now, you if you come really back tomorrow. To, if you wanted to do t- some time traveling shenanigans, you know, don't tell us about that. But... <laughs> But the way the game is intended to be played, if you messed up, you messed up and you might not have the ability to get all the large snowflakes you want or need to build everything you want from that I set in a single season. I know that happened for a few folks. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, it for sure happened to me more than once. And I and I also love how in, in New Horizons specifically, when you're building them, I think they'll last four or five days or something, but they'll slowly melt like throughout the course of their life and like their dialogue gets really funny. Like yeah. as they begin to melt and stuff, it's just, it's just great. Just great integration, a nice cozy thing to do a nice, like additional kind of bit of holiday cheer every day in animal crossing. As they're melting away from this earth, they're just like, Oh, this is a unique perspective. Having my head down here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh, well for my number two, uh, I don't mean to co-opt you Seth, but we're actually going back to Kirby for my number two. Ah. And, you know, I like Chili. It's, it's, it's cool. It's a mainstay character, obviously, and gives you access to, I believe, an underrated power. However, we all know that when it comes to Kirby, one of the big calling cards of Kirby's games is whatever brand new set piece mechanic they've, they're throwing in to whatever game uh, with... Uh, forgotten land obviously in addition to being a fully 3d adventure it was the addition of the mouthful mode and with robobot mm-hmm. it was the max and, and everything like that so for my number two i wanted to shout out two specific instances that i thought were incredibly incredibly memorable the first one is in kirby return to dreamland on the nintendo wii uh the game that kind of started this pattern of set piece mechanics in every new mainline kirby game uh, the big mainline set piece mechanic in Return to Dreamland was occasionally you would get a souped up version of one of Kirby's traditional powers. And you would go through these specifically designed uh, special stages that allowed you to basically just go hog wild with a massive sword, with like fire dragon powers, with a, you know, a godlike war hammer or what have you. But when you got the super powered up, souped up ice ability, it turns you into essentially this giant snowball. And you would go basically snowballing through the whole rest of the stage. But the very tail end of it, it turns out this big ice snowball that you would shake the Wii remote to to gather speed and to blow through everything in your path. At the very end of it, was this giant snowman body that Kirby would then affix himself to the top and like Voltron, you know, finish off this giant snowman character that would then open a portal to to the other dimension. Another one of the big things in Return to Dreamland was you you had these other dimension portals that you could go in and fight these weird ethereal bird characters for the collectible in that game for these gears. So you turn, you basically become this Voltron snowman with Kirby going and all form <laughs> the head, <laughs> which I loved. And I thought that was awesome. But then in triple deluxe on the Nintendo 3DS, they did something really similar. The big set piece mechanic with that was the hypernova suck ability where Kirby could basically and almost literally suck up all of his own reality. It was OP to say the least. But just like in Return to Dreamland, there was a really cool winter level themed set piece where you got to use your hypernova suck to to move a bunch of snowballs around and finish off several snowmen. There were a couple medium-sized snowmen, but at the end of that set piece, at the end of that part 
of the stage, you actually got to put together this really adorable snow person couple, this snow husband and this snow wife. And you got to put them together and they, you know, they were all super happy and they thanked Kirby and they jumped off the stage to go be with each other. And they dropped one of the primary collectibles for triple deluxe, which was a sunstone. And they were just so adorable. I couldn't get enough of them. And as much as I do appreciate the chilies, honestly, those two moments, because they were tied to the really cool set piece mechanics of those games, those two moments honestly have made more of an impact on me than sucking up a thousand chili enemies. That's fair. I, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the set piece moments in Kirby, you know, and those set piece abilities are always great. Right. And I know for you, uh, in particular, you've said even on this show, uh, how much those have always really resonated with you. So makes oh, sense. I love them. Yeah. You'll be able to play that on switch pretty soon, man. Oh, I can't wait. I absolutely cannot wait. Definitely pick up return to dreamland deluxe when it comes out next year. I know I will. Yes, yes, indeed. But before we get into the number one snowman in Nintendo history, do we have some honorable mentions? We do have a few honorable mentions. It turns out there's been a lot of snowmen that have shown up in Nintendo history. Just, just, just so many. I've already shouted out Rusty, the snowman from Earthworm Jim, but honestly, somebody like uh like mortimer freeze from cuphead whose second form is basically a giant floating snowman which was a a really yeah Yeah. really cool fight from the delicious last course dlc which i always knew stood for dlc always Uh, just just wanted to put that out there i always (laughs) knew delicious last course stood for dlc and honestly, oh, yeah. the second week in a row that here in the honorable mentions, we're shouting out a puzzle game from Drakneck. A good snowman is hard to build. Yeah. The, the hard to build snowman of a good snowman is hard to build. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's adorable. Every little micro section you jump in and you, you know, like that's the puzzle is you're trying to create the snowman. You're trying to navigate your way around these little squares to try to figure out how to add snow to the snowballs you have there and how to maneuver them around so that you can get the correctly sized snowballs to stack on top of each other. And then once you do, they they just manifest with these adorable little clothing ensembles. They each have their own individual names like Sarah and David. And crucially, once you're done, you can hug them. You can hug them for as long as you want. You can lean up against bushes, but you can hug the snowman and how to build a snowman. That's just cute. That's that's all that matters at the end of the day. Uh, I I certainly wanted to shout out the uh, the Doctor Freeze Goods, the the enemies from uh, from Yoshi's Island. Mm -hmm. Um, The the jet the the sort of like skiing, uh, kind of also Fez wearing. So you know, I went on a weird journey with this. Okay, because. The, the Doctor Freeze, Freeze Goods, Goods looks just like Chili from uh, from, from Chubby from Snow, Chili oh, from yeah. Kirby. Like you've got the Doctor Freeze Goods are wearing like kind of a fez hat, also, right? And he's really just a, a carrot nose away from looking exactly like Chubby Snow. Um, and then you get to Chubby Snow, and then you look at the Snow Pokies from Mario, and they also have little fez hats. So. I don't know what it is about Nintendo and like this sort of snowman design, but they keep going back to it. And I guess it just sort of works. Well, um, there's one thing you have to remember, Seth. What's that? Fezzes are cool. Uh, fezzes are cool. 
That's true. Let's not talk about the Doctor Who snowmen, though. <laughs> oh, yes. That's a great episode, though. I love that episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a great episode. Um, also want to shout also out with the, Matt Smith. Uh, yeah. Also with Matt Smith. Yeah. Um, want to shout out the snowman from Snowden in Undertale. Um, yes. Who can't move, of course, and, you know, wants you to take a piece of him to the end of the game. And uh, if you manage to do that, you will, quote, make a snowman really happy. So there is uh, there is something to be said about that. And also, um, I've never played it, but Limited Run recently published a, like, remaster of the Snow Bros arcade game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Shoutouts to that. Kind of want to check that out. Yeah, that's a thing. But yeah, there's also a ton of, like Seth said at the beginning, there's a ton of snowman-themed, you know, kind of grunt-level enemies throughout Nintendo yeah. history that we could have shouted out. And we did a couple of them, the Snow Pokies, the Sir Frosties from Spirit Tracks, and, you know, several others. Kid but, Icarus Snowmen, yeah. Kid Icarus Snowmen, yeah. But for this list, we really wanted to pay homage to to the ones that really set themselves apart in our eyes. And... When it comes to Nintendo history, when it comes to Snowman, there's one franchise that very notably we haven't talked about yet, and that is for a good reason. It's time for us to go back to the launch of the Nintendo 64, Seth. Yeah, and Super Mario 64, uh, y'all might already kind of have in mind what we're talking about. This is actually where the Mr. Blizzard enemy debuted, crucially. The Mr. Blizzard enemy has kind of come up a lot throughout the course of, of Mario history. I briefly mentioned that they're one of the Snow King's, like, spawnable minions in that boss fight or whatever. But in Super Mario 64, we've had a moment... Uh, a, a really big moment in Super Mario 64 that a lot of people will remember, the Headless Snowman, the Headless Mr. Blizzard. So when you get to Cold Cold Mountain, or Cool Cool Mountain, Cool Cool Mountain, even though yeah. it is cold, yeah, when you get to Cool Cool Mountain, obviously everybody, the first thing everybody does is they drop the penguin off the, the, the cliffside. Right. But pretty soon after that, you wind up going through this little race down the mountain where you're trying to reconnect a snowman's head with their body. Obviously, that's gone on to become kind of a trope in Nintendo games, but maybe most iconically done here. You meet the snowman's head at the top and he's like, I need you to help connect me with my body to say that he's to say that he's having an off of body experience would be a terrible pun, but uh, I'm going to go with it. But it's, it's true. It's, it's a fairly simple mission, but it's gone on to become kind of iconic. And when you think of Snowman and Nintendo, that's a lot of what people instantly kind of uh, their mind immediately goes to. And, you know, I, I do think that's interesting because, again, it is just one mission in Cool Cool Mountain. Arguably, the penguin thing is more iconic, but like people still just remember that Snowman. But if I'm being honest, you know what, Seth's, you know, you know, Seth wanted to talk about the headless snowman, but when it comes to the Mr. Blizzard character, when it comes to the Mr. Blizzard enemies from Mario 64, I honestly always thought the best one was in the level called Snowman's Land, who, like in Freeze-Easy Peak, is the complete center point, the set piece mm. of the stage. The yep. giant snowman 
the mountainous sized snowman that you have to climb to reach the star at the top. And he calls Mario a snow flea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good call there. Cause, cause it is, it's another situation, right? Where it's the total centerpiece of the stage. Yeah. You get there and not a lot of people remember it. The headless snowman, I think has become more iconic, but I think just because it's earlier in the game, I think that's, that's probably that's honestly, it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people may not have gotten to, to Snowman's land in Mario 64. Mm-hmm. You know, once they see the Unagi, they're just like, nope, I'm, I'm noping uh, I'm out, out of this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, in Snowman's land, you have to climb an actual like mountain-sized snowman uh, who tries to, to blow you off of uh, his peak. You've actually got to hide behind the giant penguin so you don't get blown off and have to climb back up again. And lose your hat. And lose your hat. And lose your hat. Nobody wants to lose their hat, especially in the freezing cold. That, speaking of the freezing cold, I, that man, just something about Snowman's Land. The water in Snowman's Land always just made me like just feel cold just by sheer just, osmosis. To see Mario like actually lose, like slowly lose his life from the water being so cold in Snowman's Land, it just hurt me to my core. I was like, <laughs> I got to turn the heat up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when, you know, it, it's it's an iconic game. You know, we talk about Mario 64 a lot and for good reason. Uh, however you feel about it now in the modern age, it's, a, it's an iconic game. And these are enemies, the Mr. Blizzard enemy was created here and has persisted through the course of this franchise ever since. And these two Mr. Blizzards that we've shouted out have created two iconic moments in this game. So it it just, how could our number one be anything different? Uh, But even then, there's still a couple snowmen that uh, we haven't brought up, that we haven't talked about yet. So feel free to bring them up yourself. Who are your favorite snowmen or snowwomen? Who are your favorite snow people in Nintendo history? Let us know. Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, and share with us. And share with us all of your favorite memories of building snow people over the years. Has that been a big tradition for you and your family? Let us know. We'd love to hear about that as well. We'd love to hear about all of the holiday wonder and memories that uh, that you've been sharing with your loved ones this holiday season. But actually, you know, thinking about it, Seth, do you think do you think the snow globers might be snowmen? Oh, you mean the uh, the snow glober, the the people that live in the snow globe and, and yeah. it takes two? Yeah. yeah. That that's not a bad point, actually. They are they are kind of snowman like. Ooh, we may have to we may have to debate about that. But uh, that was just a thinly veiled segue for us to <laughs> to talk about something that Seth and I uh, to to talk about something special that Seth and I shared this past weekend. Here it is, the holiday season. 2022 and Seth and I finally got to do something that we've been waiting to do for a very very long time and it wound up being an incredibly special experience for both of us you can actually watch our entire full playthrough on YouTube right now at youtube.com slash all in podcast but here for the Christmas episode we knew we had to give you guys a very special indie showcase and I mean, it's the holiday season. It's time to spend time with your family. So why don't we give you the 2021 <laughs> family game 
of the year. So here we are. We're going to kick our Christmas episode up a notch with our full review in our indie showcase this week of It Takes Two. So, Eric, we did indeed play through It Takes Two together on the YouTube channel. Uh, had an absolute blast, like yeah. 10 and a half-ish hours of footage on the YouTube channel of us doing our full playthrough. And it's super great to be able to sort of, you know, after all of that, we've had a few days to kind of process our time with it. Um, and it's going to be great to do this indie showcase with you because while I've played the game two times before this, this is actually my third playthrough of the game, which honestly should already just go to show you how much I loved it. Um, it's your first time playing it. You've been specifically waiting for the ability to play it on Switch. And so now yes. the big question is, like now that this game is out on Switch, game of the year at the Game Awards last year, best family game, <laughs> which we got a lot of laughs out of playing it, um, how does it stack up in 2022 and how does it stack up on switch? I think is the, the question on a lot of people's minds. So, uh, it's, you know, one of the things I said throughout our entire playthrough was just echoing this, this idea of one of the themes, collaboration, collaboration, yes, collaboration. But yeah, that's, that's what this entire game is is about they've taken this really unique and insanely creative 3D adventure action platformer and made it one of the most, I'm going to go ahead and say it, the most rewarding co-op experience I've ever played. Yeah, by far. Like for, for me, there's no question. There's not even a like close second. Like I've played some great co-op experiences. I've shouted out games on the show like Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time and stuff like that. Yeah. Some some really great stuff like Haven and yeah, yeah, there's there's some great co-op experiences out there. But like It Takes Two is just on another level and it becomes really clear why it got all of the accolades that it did. This game and I've I've said it before and I'll say it again in terms of its creativity, you know, there, I have issues with the game and like, we'll get to that. But like, in terms of its creativity, no, seriously, this game, this little, you know, indie game, I understand it's published by EA and EA originals and blah, blah, blah. But this is made by an independent studio in Hazelight, Joseph Ferris and and, and whatever. Um, this, yeah, we featured one of Hazelight's games previously uh, yeah, on the show with brothers. Exactly. So, you know, th- this game at the scale that it is really does rival anything happening in the AAA space and is not only the best co-op game ever made, but I do think that like the creativity on display here, the game that I always think about this is now my third playthrough of the game. I always think about Mario galaxy, like Mario I galaxy always yep. compare it in my head to Mario galaxy in terms of just the creativity and how you're just constantly doing new and interesting and well-executed things. Well, there's a couple other things. Yes, all that absolutely applies. You know, this is something that you said to me is you're never doing the same thing for more than 50 minutes. And that absolutely holds true. And that's one of the reasons why you should absolutely be thinking about Mario Galaxy and why it should remind you of Mario Galaxy. But there's just also the the environmental design and this this ethereal, uh, like, almost unworldly, mm-hmm. almost extra worldly design to so many of the environments and so many of the challenges that are going on here, just visually. And 
I don't even know how to put this, just the vibes I was getting. That's really the best way I can put it. I was just getting so many strong Super Mario Galaxy vibes the entire time to when when we got toward the final main chapter and learning what the theme of that main chapter was going to be, knowing a lot of the uh, a lot of those themed areas and biomes that I've played throughout video game history and especially with platformers and adventure games like this, I had you know, like a dozen or so ideas of what I thought they may wind up doing with that final chapter. But this game does so, so much and they do stuff so, they do new things so frequently. I had about a dozen ideas of what they could do. They actually did like 15 of them. Right. I thought about a dozen different things and they were like, you know what? We're going to do all of those plus more. And I was just absolutely blown away. It's it's crazy, man. It's crazy what they what they managed to do with this game. the The story setup of it is you play as this married couple, Cody and May, um, and they are planning to get a divorce. That's basically right from the outset. They're going to get a divorce. They tell their daughter Rose uh, about this, and she has these little dolls that she's made. She basically runs off crying into her room or whatever. Uh, her tears, you know, land on the dolls and basically through, you know, plot magic or whatever, the parents uh, <laughs> have their, I guess, souls transformed into the dolls. And then from there, they meet the um, the love couples therapy book made manifest called Dr. Hakeem, who is yes, I, the book of love who is i guess uh, the author of the book of love but is also the book of love himself yeah i i think rose said she found it in a dumpster (laughs) or something i don't know but (laughs) she winds up asking this book this this actual book she winds up asking this book hey dr hakeem hey book of love you think you, you could make my parents be friends again like speaking to the book as if it were an actual sentient person and then once the the magic the inciting incident of the game happens then the book itself winds up becoming kind of the primary npc that guides the characters along their journey because i'm sure just the fact that just the setup that we've told you about the fact that these characters are getting a divorce the fact that the inciting incident happens because their daughter wants them to get back together very obviously the journey, the mental and emotional journey of the game is essentially them trying to reconcile their relationship. Yeah. Uh, both with each other and with their daughter. Right. Yeah. The, the, the setup at first for Cody and May anyway becomes, okay, like let's just play Dr. Hakeem's little game or whatever, but really we're trying to just get back into our bodies and get our divorce. Right. Yeah. Um, that, and then, you know, it's kind of that whole, it's that classic like chestnut where they actually, you know, work through differences and stuff over the course of the game or, or don't, or like, however it goes and, um, whatever obstacles or levels you're thrown into are really just, uh, stops along the way to, to the ultimate goal of getting Cody and May back in their bodies. And, um, all the while you've got Dr. Hakeem, who is this very trolly sort of vaguely racist, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like stereotypical <laughs> Latinx love doctor, you know? Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. I think the story of this game is my least favorite part of it. 
Um, I think the characters kind of suck. I think Cody and May, especially uh, due to a couple of events that happened over the course of the game, are just irredeemable dirtbags. They're awful, and I don't like them one bit. And uh, I don't really like the message that this game sends about the nature of divorce. Um, That's kind of like my biggest problem with it. To say nothing of, again, I don't like Cody and May as characters, but I don't like that this game makes divorce sound like it is a 1000% every single time evil thing. And if you just go through this stuff together, then, you know, you're not going to do whatever. I, I don't like the way that is all presented to the player, but it's a good thing that like the gameplay level design and, and basically literally everything else is, is incredible and top class. Yeah. There are a couple of, especially early on in the game, a lot of the characterization of many of the, you know, used to be uh, inanimate objects right. around the house gets kind of disturbing pretty quickly, especially when it comes to like a toolbox and when it right comes away. to a, yeah. a vacuum and, and stuff like that. Some of the things that happen when you look at the context of, of what's going on, because there's two worlds that are at odds in this game. The base world is supposed to be representative of the real world in which characters act and think like you would imagine real people acting and thinking. And they're supposed to react in a way that we would find realistic to certain certain situations. And in many cases, they do. However, when you bring that realism and then you bring that into the fantasy world that the game then thrusts you into and look at some of the, the frankly messed up things that happen (laughs) in the fantasy world through the lens of the more realistic setting. The rest of the game has, it's just like, that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like really bad and weird. And that's, that's kind of, Again, my my only like huge that and complaint. weird was probably a, a way to uh, describe my explanation of that as well. So I apologize <laughs> if that was confusing. <laughs> but it's but it is true, you know. And I I don't know. D- despite all of that, though, it, it really is just window dressing. At the end of the day, it really is just like a way to get you from A to B. In a way, like especially now that this was like my third playthrough, I'm I'm kind of curious how you feel about this. But I almost got to a place where I was just like, when a cutscene would come up, it was just like, okay, like this is like a break between what is otherwise a nonstop like thrill ride, like a roller coaster of a game, really. Just, you know, just thrill a minute, nonstop. And the cutscenes for me, I appreciated more of as like a break. Like I didn't really even need that much narrative. Like I, I kind of just like, it, it, it almost was like just a chance to go, Ah, okay. I can relax for a second. My heart rate can go down for a few minutes, you know, but otherwise I didn't care about what was going on. (laughs) Well, I cared about what was going on within the context of the, the, (laughs) the previously inanimate objects that had actual relationships and Mm -hmm. prior uh, that that had history with the real world characters. That's true. Yeah. And to see how they reacted 
to those characters and to see how potentially are the inanimate objects that we surround ourselves with from day to day may potentially see us. I did think those were interesting. I mentioned the toolbox. I mentioned the vacuum. And even going into... <laughs> exactly children's toys yeah there are some really really interesting contextual relationships that i did enjoy and that was one of the when it came to the narrative i thought that was the most interesting driving forces oh we're getting to meet this i wonder how they perceive us and i wonder how they perceive the real family yeah yeah but but i mean like and, and that is a good point it, it it's cool how like some of those things tie together and and in some like really horrific ways too, some of that plays a role in the story as well. It does, um, which I don't want to overtly spoil, but anybody who has played the game knows why I acted the way I did when they showed off the cutie, the elephant plush during the game awards this year. Uh, and I now understand. And <laughs> now, you know, too, they were wrong for that. Um, <laughs> they, they, they were wrong for that, but, uh, you know, with with all that being said, that that is kind of my my one like major complaint structurally with the game. Personally, I think that the level design is so imaginative the entire way through. Like the different sort of chapters of the game, like the way the game is structured, because the the structuring is always very loose. It's usually you have to do this to either earn this thing from Dr. Hakeem, to learn this lesson from Dr. Hakeem or whatever. Um, but but it's really just a thinly veiled plot device to get you into the stage in question, which is always related to something in the house. If it's a jukebox record player thing, if it's a snow globe, whatever, like that is where the, the actual stages will take place. Yeah. And the way that these places are imagined uh, so cool with the, the way that these, you know, small objects are just blown up into these stupidly creative, stupidly imaginative entire universes. It feels like was just a marvel to witness throughout. And I'm kind of glad we're talking about this because, you know, it's the Christmas episode and I want to try to end with as much positivity as possible. So since we're talking about the way these stages are presented, well, I think maybe we should just go ahead and get that elephant out of the room. Uh, because as great as the design is, and the design is S tier, beyond S tier, it was clear that this was definitely a downport of a more powerful game on the Nintendo Switch. For sure. Uh, the the visual concessions that the Nintendo Switch is having to deal with are, are 100% apparent. There were a lot of texture pop-ins. There were a lot of points that it was very obvious that the resolution had to be scaled down and that visually the game had to be rejigged in order to get it working on the Nintendo Switch. That being said, they did get the game working on the Nintendo Switch. I'm very happy about that. I just, you know, as much as I love Nintendo's hybrid platform, I do wish so many obvious concessions didn't have to be made. I would love to replay this. I mean, this might sound heresy on my Nintendo podcast, but I would really love to play this again on the PlayStation 5. Yeah, I mean, like, that that's the thing, man, is they did get it working. 
you know, like it does work. Like it's, it doesn't have like major, major frame rate issues. We played the entire thing online. We had like one weird disconnect at one point, but yes, otherwise, you know, and it was, it was kind of a struggle with lag the entire time. Cause it was, yeah. Cause there, there are a couple of like, you know, and the game is, is blessedly fairly generous with a lot of these situations, but there were definitely certain puzzles and situations that are like timing based that were difficult for us to do because of lag and things like that on the switch version. Um, and yeah, like visually it's a downgrade across the board, but they also got, I mean, this is a next gen game, like make no mistake. It takes two is a next gen game. Like I played this on PC with my cousin. I played it on PS five with my wife. And this is like a big AAA scale next gen game. And they managed to make it work. We played through the entire thing together with, you know, with the exception of a couple of hiccups, really frictionless, honestly. Yeah. So they should be kind of commended for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that really works in the favor of it takes two is the fact that so much of it, isn't going for a hyper photorealistic right uh look don't get me wrong there are realistic attempts at realism in the game especially when you you're, you're talking about the real world aspects you talk about uh, the way the parents and the family members are are portrayed in the real world but when you talk about the the visual style and there is an overabundance of style in this game, you talk about the visual style and the art direction and the way these incredibly imaginative stages are rendered because of the look of that, you know, despite so many of the obvious texture concessions and a lot of the visual concessions, there were still so many times, so many times throughout our 10 and a half hour play uh, playthrough that I just honestly sat back and was like, that looks rad. Yeah. I mean, like, it's one of those things where, especially as somebody who has played and seen how the game runs on more powerful hardware, I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I I wish that this squirrel or whatever looked as good as it did on, you know, on PlayStation or PC or whatever. But at the same time, I mean, there were many, many moments. What You know, one of the things before this game was ever even revealed for Switch, I genuinely didn't think it would be possible. Like I've said that I think even on this show, like I don't think that it takes two can run on the Nintendo switch Um, because there, I mean, this game, some of the stages are like mini open worlds with like a lot of little things to do. And I Mm -hmm. constantly, when we were playing this version of the game, I was constantly saying like, how are they going to make this part work? I'm so interested to see how this part is going to work on the switch. And it always did. They always got it to work. And uh, man, like that's so impressive to me. Yeah. Like you said, we had lag and that was noticeable. It wasn't flawless, but it did work. It it, it 100% worked. You and I, when it came to progression, you and I had minimal problems. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't completely frictionless, but you and I had minimal problems even with a few sections you really thought we might, specifically like a unicycle portion that we <laughs> you were afraid would take us like half right. an hour, but we wound up getting after like just a couple seconds. Yeah, there are a couple parts like that where I was like, "Oh, this is going to be rough," and then it just wasn't. So, <laughs> like, there, yeah, there, there's a give and take there for sure, but I think a, a lot of um what really helps this game out with that is because 
it does have such a friendly design sensibility that like this game wants you to experience it. It's not difficult whatsoever. Um, it's very generous in not only its puzzles, but like, you know, when you die, you just come right back. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? There won't even be a game over screen at all unless both characters die at the same time. Um, you know, like Which it's did happen to us a couple times, couple times, couple times, and but there nothing were crazy. A couple times, both of us died, and we were like, "Really? Uh, okay." And we did run into a couple annoying, like that one weed. That right. Was, yeah, that was really. It was we did run into a couple annoying things, but overall, yeah, we the the pace of the game was fantastic. Well, we never hit anything remotely resembling a brick wall. No, not at all. And um, yeah, and I, I think that the, the pacing of the game is masterful. I think that the design of the worlds is really impressive. And while you're going to run into a couple of little janky things with the Switch version, while it's never going to be as pretty as the other versions of the game, if the Switch is the only console you have, and if this is the only way you're ever going to be able to play It Takes Two, like... I don't think that this is a prohibitively bad port or anything like that whatsoever. Like, no, not at all. I am totally comfortable recommending you play this game on the Switch if that's the only way you can play it. Like, totally. It was it was a totally fun experience that we were able to get through just fine on Switch. Yeah. And it honestly just felt like by the end of this game, this was just Joseph Ferris showing off. It's crazy, when it, man. When it when it came to the mechanical design of this game, because far and away the biggest strength of It Takes Two is the variety. Now, a lot of games artificially inject variety uh, into the experience by changing up the biomes or slowly revealing augments or upgrades throughout the course of the game or trying to recontextualize the same move set that you've been given this entire time. It takes two just throws all of that out the window and they just said, you know what? How about we just put 200 game engines into this experience and just every few minutes or so we switch over to a brand new game engine because functionally Outside of the basic movement, that's kind of what happens in It Takes Two. Something I love that you say about uh, Mario Galaxy a lot, Seth, is like there's so many mechanics at play. You get to see a new one. Uh, you get to see a new one so often, but you feel like all the mechanics in Mario Galaxy, so many of them are so good, you could legitimately build a game just around each individual yep. mechanic. Honestly, I feel that way about this game. Exactly. Because. All the different game engines and applications and functions that they put into this game. Somehow, somehow a game that did so much and it all felt good. There's not a bad power or ability that Cody and May get. There's not a bad usage. There's never a moment of, ugh, I can't believe I have to do this. Like there's, there's not a bad one and there's gotta be dozens, yeah. dozens, if not approaching like a hundred uses. And even like, even when they give you a new ability or, or whatever it is, they'll find a million little ways to use them too. Like they, 
it really does. You know, I think about the way that WarioWare was first conceived and it was just like 200 Nintendo employees putting like sticky notes on, on somebody's desk. Like that's how this feels. Just let me just take every little idea that you guys have and just, yes, all of it. Implement it perfectly. Yeah. Just yes, all of it. And let's implement it perfectly. And it makes sense. It makes sense contextually in the levels, in the chapters themselves. It makes sense thematically. There will be a situation like, for example, later in the game, Dr. Hakeem's trying to teach them about attraction, right? So they get these, Cody and May get these magnets that have opposite polarity. And the way that is used is in like many different ways and situations in the game. Because Cody and May's like core functionality is really just you get a jump, you get a double jump, you get a dash, and you get like a rope that you can use on hook points. That's like Mm -hmm. it, you know? The rest of it is all just variety given to the player with powers that are in level abilities. And even the even like the ideas and the abilities and the gameplay variety moments that don't make it into the core structure are used in bonus objectives and little side challenges. See, that's one of my favorite things is to keep along with this theme of, you know, cooperation, but still at odds is throughout the entire game, in addition to the main story, instead of having traditional collectibles that you can get, there are no uh, there are no music notes, there are no pages, there are no power stars, there are no you know concept art. There's nothing to find or collect in this game. Instead, what you see when you go off the beaten path a little bit are little mini games that you can play against each other you're playing co-op the entire time but they give you all of these little options of little pvp games and minus the unfortunate lag that seth and i had to deal with genuinely every single one of them was fun yeah like honestly every single one of them was fun not saying i would have wanted to do it for a half hour straight but like I was laughing constantly. I was constantly having a good time. I was so excited to see that little tambourine. Yes. That was the telltale sign that you had found a new little mini game. I was like, oh, what are they going to do now? What are they going to do now? And there were so many creative ideas that, you know, they wanted, they just wanted to find a way to implement it to the game. So they did it this way. The, the, the lasers that uh, we could trigger on each other. Oh that my was gosh. so cool. That was yeah. awesome. Even something as simple as the little like 1930 style baseball clockwork game. Even that was fun. Yeah. Like every little mechanical thing they put into this game, every little mini game and every little ability that they give you winds up feeling satisfying. It's honestly annoying how, <laughs> how well this game is put together. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. And it's even like little stuff that aren't considered like full side objectives, like little things that you can just play with, like this little crocodile's teeth or hippo's teeth or whatever. That oh, yeah. You can kind of do a little <laughs> chicken game, you know, with it. And, you know, little tiny things like, oh, there's a car over there. Let me see if I can launch you through this hoop. Like, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> so many. There's got to be just dozens and dozens and dozens of little things like that. And it just like the game is so playful, you know, like it's so 
playful is the best word I can think to describe this game. It just is rewarding you for just playing it. It's not punishing you. It doesn't have, you know, even though it is like set up a lot of this stuff like a PvP sort of thing, it isn't, it's it's never like creating this culture of like hyper competitive, you know, play or whatever. It's just like, let's do this fun little thing and let's just do it together real quick and we'll laugh about it and we'll just move on. It's a fun little distraction, you know? Yeah. The only one we actively avoided was the game has an actual no joke chessboard that oh, you can yeah. play. I was like, nope, not doing that. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. That that was the <laughs> only one we actively avoid. It was like, nah, probably shouldn't stop to play an actual full game of chess. Yeah. But uh but everything else was like, oh Seth, over here, we gotta do this. And oh, then yeah. you've got the that tower platforming challenge off the beaten path that's just kind of uh, hard. Did. Like yeah, it, it was. It was hard, <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. It's and we fun. got it. <laughs> that was where our game crashed, actually. But we have video proof that we got to the top. Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's stuff like that, man. And this game is just full of stuff like that. It's just like so rewarding. Um, and, and like, again, you're, you're never doing the same thing for long. Like if there's ever a moment there, this game is paced so perfectly. There, there's never a moment where you can stop and like catch your breath or, or ever even get sick of an ability. Like there's never a moment where I'm like, oh, like, you know, eh, I, I'm kind of done with this ability. This ability is kind of overstated. It's welcome or whatever, like never happens, never, ever happens. Cause they always find new things to do. You know, there's always something different, a new little wrinkle to it. When you go into yeah. the, um, the, the greenhouse level or whatever, the garden level where it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, Cody has this ability to like go into the soil or whatever. Oh wait, I can just <laughs> become vegetables. You know, and just like do all this stuff or, oh, hey, all of a sudden we're riding on the back of a spider or like this frog taxi. Yeah. Lucas and Tukas. We had little names for them. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, oh, it's brilliant. Like it's, it's genius. And it's the game even knows that because instead of just adding on to your ability list, it just says, eh, you've played with that enough. You're not going to need that anymore. We're done with that mechanic. Throw that in the bin. Here's your new game that you're playing now. Here's your new abilities that you're going to be getting a ton of use out of for the next hour. Here, have these now. Yep. Uh, So it just like every once in a while, it just completely flips the script. It's like, all right, we're playing a whole new different game now. Here's your new mechanics. Go. Yeah, it really does. And and I'm so glad that you've played it now so you can back me up on this because people look at me sideways and I compare this game to Mario Galaxy. But like, oh, yeah, a thousand percent. I said that individually yeah. of, of us, you know, talking about it. I was like, oh, my, especially a couple parts. There are there is a specific space themed level right. in the game that mm-hmm. draws very strong comparisons to mario galaxy and i think a lot of that is genuinely intentional because there are a lot of times in this game that the game pretty obviously wears its its inspirations far down its sleeve i mean there was even a part where you and i broke uh some pots and got some very obvious rewards right right, from those pots yeah so some of some of the things that happen in the game feel like genuine homages feel like this was put here because we love this from this game. So comparing it to Mario galaxy, I think the game was specifically maybe not trying to evoke that, 
but trying to pay respect in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just think that like, I, I just think it's masterfully done. And it's so impressive that a team like Hazelight has grown from something like brothers, right? Like again, another game we've covered on, on this show too, like a way out, which is a game that's not available on Nintendo yet. Um, I hope it does come to to switch at some point. Cause that's a fun game too. It's not, it's my least favorite of their catalog, but it's still really fun. But then to see them go to this, which is no joke, you know, this is an indie studio, which I I think at this point they've grown to having like 65 employees or something, but like they, (laughs) they have taken this concept and just like blown it up to this massive scale and good on EA for providing them the funding to make a game like this. And good on something like the game awards for recognizing that and for kind of taking it and allowing it to reach the scale that it has, you know, with, without that kind of funding and attention that it takes to got and without, you know, people sort of giving it these end of the year accolades and things that it got late last year, uh, we might not have ever gotten it on switch. Um, so it's, it's like really cool that, that all of that hard work was rewarded. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore this game. This was something that I told you during our playthrough, Seth, is never have I been playing a video game and I was already like in the middle of a playthrough, I was already excited at the thought of replaying the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's not a short game either. 10 and a half hours or so. And honestly, you could spend more time on that if you like really wanted to, because most of the time we would just kind of, for the sake of the stream, we would just like, you know, hit one of these little side games, mini games or whatever and move on. But if you really wanted to like spend time and it takes two, you could probably squeeze, you know, between 14, 15 hours out of it. If you really wanted to, the game does let you stop and, and smell the roses quite a bit. Um, so it really just depends on how much you want to get lost in it. So even us spending, you know, 10 and a half ish hours on a playthrough that was pretty much go, 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 I think is really impressive considering the fact that another thing to notate here, this game's, uh, standard price is $40, $39.99. And only one of you has to own a copy of the game. You buy one copy and you and your co-op partner can both play even online for just that one price. So cool. It is. And there is an app that the other person has to download in order to do that. They have to download this, this friend version. Yeah. The friend pass. It takes to mm-hmm. the friend pass. Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely worth noting is if you have two people who both have the friend pass, you can play the first chapter of the game. It's effectively a demo. Right. Which I actually wasn't even aware. That is really cool. Cause that's a, yeah. that's a sizable chunk of the game too. Like that's, you'll, you're probably an hour, hour and a half of gameplay there. So if you've ever wanted to try it, dip your toe in the water, see how the switch version of the game runs. Not only can you just, you know, watch our full playthrough on the YouTube channel. Um, mm-hmm. but you could even just literally download, you know, two friend passes and play the first chapter for free. And I promise you, like, if this game is going to hit for you, it's going to hit by the end of that first chapter. <laughs> yeah. And one of the biggest reasons that I'm excited to play through it is because when we talk about constantly getting new abilities, Cody and May do not get the same abilities. Right, they right. Get, 
com- complementary abilities to go again fully uh, to further reinforce this theme of collaboration and togetherness. They do not get the same tools. So, you know, I played through as May the entire time, so I had access to a certain tool set. But I would I would very much like the opportunity to replay through again as Cody and use his entirely different tool set uh, during the playthrough. I think that'd be a ton of fun. Yeah. So, so I mean, you could very easily do it that way, too. You could very easily um, play the game that way and, and justify a second playthrough that way. So by that metric, you're talking about, you know, a 20 plus hour experience. So... You know, I just I just think that there's a lot of value here and it truly is, you know, a, a special, special game. Yeah. At this point, you and I would just be throwing more superlatives out there. Uh, I'm just going to end by saying no joke. You know, even especially given here where we are in the holiday season, I get to play through it with uh, my best living friend. And it, this honestly just long story short was one of the most special video game experiences that I've had. Yep. You know, totally agree. Bar none. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that you and I finally got the opportunity to do that, Seth, uh, not just for who I played it with, but the amazing game that Hayes light was able to mostly who I got to play it with, but thankfully Hayes light gave us a good game to, uh, to spend that time together. Yeah, it t- turns out Joseph Ferris, you know, for all the uh, the bad words and the, you know. <laughs> Let's just say for all the eccentricities. <laughs> right. He uh, turns out he knows how to make a good video game. He and his studio do good work. <laughs> turns out he knows how to make about 200 of them and he put them all into this one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, definitely check out It Takes Two. Like we said, download the Friends Pass. Try it out for yourself. I could not come more highly recommended. Maybe the story will hit for you. There, there was some parts that definitely didn't hit for me, but the design and the worlds and the presentation and the endless, boundless creativity were just magnetic from start to finish. So do try this game out if you have any inkling to whatsoever and let us know what you think about it. Reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast on Twitter at all in podcast. Again, we've got our entire playthrough up on youtube.com slash all in podcast. And, you know, we tried to be as entertaining as we possibly could be. There was some light trolling between me and Seth. We had a, we had an absolute blast from start to finish. So definitely check out our playthrough on youtube.com slash all in podcast. And, you know, once you do all of that, you know, maybe, you know, we've given you guys a nice big Christmas gift in the form of our full playthrough of It Takes Two. You know, it'd be nice if, you know, maybe for Christmas you became patrons. Yeah, check out patreon.com slash podcast. Three tiers of support over there. See what works for you. Tons of exclusive content and perks over there on the Patreon with more to come very, very soon in the new year. So stay tuned mm-hmm. for that. Um, but... If you don't have any bones to throw away, we do understand. It's the holidays. I get it. But you can get us a gift that is actually very free and very easy, and that is the gift of some words. On Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible, you can leave us five-star written reviews that I will shout out here on the show and chisel your review into the eternal rock of all in a Nintendo podcast. And on Spotify, you can leave us five-star ratings. Again, very simple, quick, easy, and free way 
to get us a little Christmas present this year. Yeah, just like that anonymous iTunes rating. Yes, appreciate that. Yes, thank you so, so much for that. And a huge thank you to just all of you. Not just the patrons, you guys are legends. Not just the people who drop words, you guys are also, but everybody, all of you who have been with us these past two and a half years, who consume our content in any way, shape, or form, who help us spread the word and share our stuff all over Twitter, Facebook, and the rest of the internet. Just want to say thank you. Merry Christmas and namaste. Namaste. Another one down, man. I think we did a I think we did a pretty good little Christmas special this week. Yeah, I like to think so. I had the perfect game this week to talk about with It Takes Two. Got to talk about some snowmen. I'm not gonna be able to make any, but we got no. to talk about some snowmen. We had a nice little, you know, advent calendar from Nintendo, so I appreciated that. But Seth. Once this weekend's over, man, we got 2023, and you know what that means. Yep, we are creeping up, as always, ever closer to the Golden Aces. We're going to have one final episode of 2022 uh, next week, going live literally on New Year's Eve, uh, next week's episode. But then the week after that, folks, is the Golden Aces aces on january 4th that's a wednesday we're going to be live streaming the golden aces on youtube.com slash all in podcast 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern you're not going to want to miss it we're going to have awards to give out we're going to be talking about the very best nintendo games of the year your voice is going to be heard on the show and we're ending that episode with a very special announcement to kick off the new year so you're not going to want to miss it You're absolutely not going to want to miss it, but we hope you all have a wonderful holiday weekend. We will see you back here to ring in 2023 next week. But until then, I have been Jingle All the Eric. And I have been the Muppet Seth Miss Carol. We love you all very much. Have a Merry Christmas. We will see you next week. Bye. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.